Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn. I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Donnelly. Uh, Ryan, this week we have, um, we're, we're very excited to announce that we are the new owners of Buckeye Scoop. Uh, we, we are the new, the, the only owners, and we're very excited about this. We're going to business with uh, with some really good people, I think, some really cool guys who it seems like are really good at doing their jobs. Um, and we're just, we're really thrilled about this opportunity. And so this podcast is going to be all about the Bucks as, as the next, uh, next, you know, every That's episode right. beyond this is going to be. And you know, ever since I can remember, Patrick, I always wanted to be a gangster. Yeah. Uh, that's the important <laughs> thing to know. Um, Dude. and by the way, I did forget to tell you this before the show started. Uh, you have been let go. Okay. Um, yeah, I figured you have been released from the podcast. Mm. Uh, just some caps, you know, some salary cap issues. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who is it? Can I? Who is my replacement? No one. There's. There's. <laughs> it's just gonna be. We're you. just trying to make the team worse. We're trying to field less players this uh-huh. season. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're we're trying the first ever ten man <laughs> offense. Yeah, you're you're doing the permanent red card offense. You're, you're just yeah, just that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we're that... like, what if we took the things to make this like cool and good, and had less of those, but more of the shit that everyone hates. Yeah. What if we had the drunk CTE guy and the rich guy who has no money, and that was the only thing that the website was doing. <laughs> That yeah, seems... yeah. Uh, we have some maybe some fun content coming so soon about the rich guy who has no money. We <laughs> have uh, maybe hearing some more about that in the coming weeks. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, please you should feel very grateful for that. But um, look into to Buckeye Scoop online and the things that have happened with Buckeye Scoop. Yeah, today. read about read about Kirk Barton and uh, Ken Stickney's lawsuit, and then uh, there's some more stuff going on today. If you really want to get into this shit, feel free to DM me or just look at my Twitter. I guess I'll, I'll explain. I like talking about this shit. But, uh... I, I'm also, I'm going to see real quick. Um, yeah, if you Google just the rooster Ken Stickney as well, that will tell you most of the things that you need to know. Um, the, our, our friend DJ did a, a very good breakdown of, of what exactly is going on over there. But anyway, um, yeah, this is the Buckeye Scoop podcast. We're very excited to be talking about the Bucks this week. Uh, folks, the big news of the week is that CJ Stroud has been slighted by the Walter Camp Award preseason rankings. Uh, oh, man. We're going to spend the next 60 minutes talking about that. Um, no, we're talking about. Did we do a question about that? Like, yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you just making fun of one of our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. I'm sure that there are people who actually did a podcast about that. The li- I do not blame the listener for this. This is a. Um, this is an Ohio State beat problem, I think, more than anything. Um, but no, we're talking about the American Athletic Conference, which is infinitely more deserving of God's light than anything that people who are covering that team could possibly do. Um, we're going to talk about the, I, I think, conference that has most suffered in quality in the last couple of years. I, I don't know, honestly, that there's another one. This one has has really, really dipped in its number of good teams, what those good teams are able to do. Uh, obviously, AAC had a, a playoff team last year, which is pretty impressive relative to the rest of the G5, but it had one other good team, I think, in the entire league in, in Houston. SMU was maybe Maybe for, two if you were, yeah. Yeah, SMU, SMU was good for a while, and then it became November, and that was an issue can, for SMU. Can I, can I ask you? Yeah. I, I saw someone today... That called not today, yesterday. Some guy who writes Pro Football Network had Clayton Tune as like the fifth best quarterback in America this season. Man, I mean, where is that come? What is what are people doing? Yeah, I don't. I mean, he's good. (laughs) He's like he's He's good, pretty good. Yeah, he's like a top forty quarterback in college football. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't really think of him as being like this, you know, amazing 
player or anything. He's fine. He's like, yeah, he's pretty good. You know, he he's a I think a, a top of the of the AAC level quarterback and and maybe top near the top of the G five. But he's he's certainly not even one of the top five G five quarterbacks. I don't think. Um, just off the top of my head, I mean, Grayson McCall, uh, Logan Bonner, Jake Hayner, all all come to mind. Um, there are you know Frank Frank Will or Frank Harris. Uh, th- there are plenty who are I think better than Clayton too. And, um, yeah, I think he's fine. He's a I mean he's an air raid quarterback. Are we still doing this for air raid quarterbacks? It's just like, wow, he put up huge Ugh. numbers in the Dana Holgerson office. Like yeah, I guess. I mean, so did Will Greer. <laughs> it's not that hard. It seems like it's actually very easy to do. One of the tone setters, guys, and to clarify, we do like the tone setters, yes. not not hate on the tone setters, uh, was calling Cam Ward the best quarterback in college football this season also. Uh, that's incarnate word transfer and presumed mm-hmm. Washington State starter Cam Ward. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on track to be the first ever good Washington State quarterback. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> It'll be exciting to see if they can find their first ever good quarterback. Yeah, you, you, you that's uh, that's tough. I, I like Cam Ward, but come on, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. Um, so anyway, AAC uh, has. Yeah, has, I don't, I'm just talking. I'm just airing some grievances about quarterbacks. Yeah, of course, and and about just people that we know. Uh, <laughs> It's always yeah, good to start yeah. the podcast airing grievances about just that was feisty people. today. Yeah, um, yeah, we're 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 feeling a little. We're 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 we've been we haven't recorded in a little while, and we've been caged up. We've got a lot of anger to get out. But um, AAC specifically, I think in the last couple of years, and and I don't see this talked about a lot because no one who sets the storylines for college football actually watches or pays attention to anything in happen, happening in college football except for like. Alabama, right? Um, and so I have just, I've not seen much of this, but the AAC has been extremely bad the last couple of years, just not interesting, not really any any depth or, or serious talent at the bottom of the league. And I think that there are probably a few reasons for it, but the conference does find itself as an, in an interesting place here as it now goes into an era without Cincinnati, without Houston and UCF starting next season. Um, bringing in UAB, FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, Rice, and UTSA, there are interesting teams there. You know, I, I, think, mm. I think UAB is a consistently good program. I think that Charlotte's in a really good location and, and had, well, good location for college football, bad location for the real world, um, and has a lot of investment within its its program. You're, you're a Charlotte hater? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Charlotte. I mean, I, I, I if you want to live in an insurance city, I guess you can, but... <laughs> I'm good personally. Uh, I would rather live in a Mormon uh, in a Mormon covenant, but uh, that's that's just me. Um, and then UTSA is obviously, I think, on the rise. But Rice and North Texas are dog shit programs, and FAU hired Willie Taggart, which is bad. Uh, probably probably not a good idea. Um, and so it, it's is an interesting dynamic here, where uh, like you know, the the I think the thing that has really caused this is the bottom of the league falling off in, in a way that. You know, it, it was that the bottom of the league has gotten worse, but also the teams in the bottom of the league are ones that were relied on to be good for this league to be valuable, right? Like USF, Temple, um, Navy, uh, Memphis, you know, like the, these are teams that I think the AAC really needs to be good, and they have just been various forms of bad these last couple of years, and it has really impacted the conference. It was really noticeable last year watching you know, a lot of Cincinnati games, a lot of Houston or SMU games, 
those teams are good, and when they played each other, it was good, but there was a lot of shit in this league. Just not good football being played at places like USF or Temple or Navy or even at the top of the league, UCF, right? Like that that UCF team last year went nine and four is a very good reflection of how shitty this league was. It was it's that was a bad team. That was a really, really bad team and they managed nine wins. Um it's just the league's not in a good place and I don't feel really all that much better about it coming into this season and I certainly don't feel good about it moving forward. Yeah. I mean I don't really get the I don't just, I, it seems like if you're the AAC, you like basically lucked into a good situation a few years ago, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you kind of did a scattershot bullshit approach to adding teams of just like, <clears throat> who can we get from around the G5? Who's already good? Who's near us? And you just happen to already have connections to some good programs. Uh, and then, but you didn't learn anything from the last 10 years of realignment, last 10 years of college development, right? Because if you did, you wouldn't be trying to still add big TV markets in the same way that, yeah. uh, you know, in the same way that the basically the uh, Conference USA just did, right? You're just taking a lot of Conference USA teams and Conference USA just got like their ass kicked for the last 10 years of Conference realignment and got poorer and worse. Yeah. Like, it, you know, you're, you're, you know, you lost Houston, so you're adding rice in the Houston market. You know, you, you, yeah. you're keeping in uh, North Texas because you're probably going to lose SMU at some point here in the near future here to Conference realignment, right? You're, you're adding in UAB because Birmingham is like the biggest city in Alabama. I don't know. They're actually a good football program, but yeah. a lot of these don't make any sense. Like you're, you're choosing not to go for programs that care about college football again, aside from UAB and maybe UTSA. Um, and, you know, you're, you're mostly just adding TV markets and it doesn't actually work anymore. Like, like the Sun Belt has proved to us this is not the right move. The Big 12 with what, what they're about to do to the ACC and Pac-12, I think is going to prove to us that's not how it works. Like if you just add good football teams – you know, of course, if you're in the position of like the Big Ten or SEC, where you can add great brands, you have a lot of games and all sorts of football, that's what you should do. Mm-hmm. But in lieu of that, just take programs that are very serious about college football and not try to chase TV markets because it doesn't work anymore. You, you, you're not getting a large percentage of the viewers in Houston because you have rice in your team. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that is the the issue here is one of especially with this realignment, and and that's I think going to cause problems more down the road. Um, is that it's a failure of process. It's a misunderstanding of why the teams who are leaving were good in the first place or why they were valuable in the first place. And it is attempting to, in a lot of these, these cases, like you said, directly replace teams that are departing, right? Like, you know, Rice for Houston, FAU for UCF, um, UTSA also kind of for Houston, Charlotte a little bit for Cincinnati. It, It gets a little bit scattered down the end, but generally speaking, it is a, it's an attempt to replace these teams directly with other teams either near them or with fan bases that they're hoping can grow to a similar level. Right. And that's not at all how the game is played. We talked about this on our, on our, our big 10 emergency show. We've talked about this a lot this off season, the game is not played with TV markets. It's played with quality. The way to replace these teams would have been to find similar quality of program, right? You know, and obviously Cincinnati is a playoff caliber program. Houston is, is not terribly far behind. UCF is a good brand, uh, was at one point a good football program, and then they hired Josh Heupel and uh, Gus Mazan, and here we are. But going out and hiring good – or going out and, and grabbing good football programs is the way to replace good football programs, not going out and grabbing cities that could be eventually good football programs, right? Like we were talking before the show, a team like App State would make a lot of sense. Very, very good football program. Honestly, though, I don't 
know that the Sun Belt is, I think the Sun Belt's probably in a better place at this point than the AAC is. I don't know if the AAC sees it that way. Which is crazy, um, right? Yeah, I mean, like, well, the, the, the question is, like, do you think the AAC is going to lose, uh, like, Memphis, SMU, and that's probably pretty, if it loses those two, then who cares for the rest of this league, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I wonder if that was part of the calculation for App State is, like, it seems like the Sun Belt has a much better understanding of this than just about any other league, save for what the Big Twelve, right? Uh, the the Sun Belt has been on this for years. It, it has had a, I don't know that it was entirely intentional or if it was just out of necessity, but the Sun Belt has had a really good understanding of what the next, you know, ring of realignment was going to look like. That it was going to be quality based, and it grabbed a bunch of quality FCS programs, and that was sort of the way that it built. And now it's in a position where it can go grab programs like Marshall, like Southern Miss and, 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 you know, good fits for the, for the culture, for the, for the conference culturally, but also in some cases, good football programs. Southern Miss is getting there, but you know, Marshall's a great football program. Uh, Old Dominion, I think is going to be a pretty good football program. You're, you're, you're seeing these James Madison, obviously great football program. Um, and that is the way to do things. And I think that the AAC is headed down a really bad path here with even some programs that I like. I like UAB. I like UTSA. Um, I like what FAU is going to be after Willie Taggart because I think it's probably going to be pretty good. I, I think that Charlotte has potential. But there are programs ready-made that I think would have been interested that the AAC has either passed on or, or didn't ever look to, and instead it went and grabbed from the most incompetent conference, the one that is going to die, right, was going to yeah, die before I, I, this happened. And I think almost even more importantly, it's like, it's such a, it's almost a too forward looking move, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're a little too confident if you're the AAC that because you've been the best G5 conference last several years, that you're going to be safe this round, right? Because like, if I'm in times of turmoil like this, the AAC already just got rated. It's responded to be doubling down on what it already had and getting more good football programs, right? Yeah. Bring in App State, bring in Boise State, try to get the best programs of the other G5 conferences and put yourself in a position of strength. Like who's to say uh, you couldn't inherit some members of the Pac-12 or ACC if when that conference, when those conferences get eaten up by other people, like you could be in a good position to kind of fill in a lot of gaps here if you played this better and focused on football uh, you know, if you're adding Coastal Carolina instead of Charlotte or, yeah. I mean, like UTSA is a good move. I actually endorse it's, it's in a semi-major city. It's into Carolina football right now. They're investing a lot. It's definitely risky based on their, you know, very short track record, but uh, it's, it's a play that I understand making. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, UAB is the model you should be following, right? Like they're not in a major market. They're in a, they're a semi small city. And it just cares a lot about football that has a tradition of winning a lot. Um, UAB is the, is the path to follow here. I think that's something that the AAC really messed up on. And I I don't know, like, I think they're in a position of weakness right now. Like if I was, if I was a president of one of the major G5 powers remaining, of a president of Boise state or app state or of Memphis or SMU, I would be calling up the other G5 programs that are in these conferences, knowing they all have relatively short media deals and saying, hey, why don't the good schools just get together and like, look, this whole thing's separating anyway. We're about, like, we're standing on, you know, a fault line. It's like on an earthquake, it's playing the two halves right now. Yeah, We have a chance to jump to the side that's gonna stay in the FBS and stay competitive. 
if we get all of us together right now. If we say the individual conferences, we're just going to get picked off one by one and hope we get like we hope we're lucky enough to make it together. Yeah. And why not band together and try to build something? I don't understand it. Like I don't know. I, I think there's just not a lot of rational actors that understand the stakes of the game right now yeah. throughout the entire sport. I think people. We're just looking at a lot of people who are kind of unequipped to deal with the moment they're in, who don't take it seriously enough, who don't understand kind of the ramifications around them, which is, of course, is, you know, not just unique to college football leadership. It's kind of just uh, everything ever in the world. Yeah. Uh, people are just not smart enough to understand what's going on around them. Yeah. Uh, and there's no sharks right now. There's no goddamn sharks in the in the G5 football ranks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that that is the kind of thing where, like, just as I was as just thinking about it through the, the AAC's eyes, that realignment, this past realignment, I think your first, if you're trying to get six teams, why are your calls not going to UAB, UTSA? That's fine. App State, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, and then hell, see if Toledo's interested. That's that's a you know it's a moneyed program in the MAC for for a MAC program. Yeah. That is a good setup. They win a lot of games consistently. They're not doing it right now because of their coach, but that's not a structural issue. That is a coach issue. Hell, if they're not interested in leaving the MAC, go get North Dakota State. That's it doesn't it, it's just go get football products. What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you getting North yeah. Texas? Why are you getting rice? Rice is the one that I think is the most crazy to me. Rice has never been good, right? <laughs> There's no history of like, oh yeah, rice is going to get back to what it was. No, it's always been bad. It's not a football program that takes football seriously. They don't do that. It <laughs> giving them money is not going to change that. They don't take football seriously. Not even a little bit. Yeah. Not even a little bit, man. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's it's strange, and it? it's it has a league that was at one point really fun. That 2017, 2018 era AAC football was really good. It was really really good when USF and UCF were both rolling, and Memphis had Justin Fuente or, or or Mike Norvell, and you know it was really flying. It was really good, and it's just not. It's just not good right now. And as we go into this this preview, we'll we'll start with tier five. There's a lot of teams in here that just more than anything, just bum me out. It's like, man, this should be way better than it is, either because of its location, because of its its resources, or just because of the, the even the talent that it has, which I, I think is really the case for the first team in Tier 5 here, USF. Um, USF should be pretty good, honestly. USF should be good. It has, it has talent mm. even on this roster. It has talent. It, it's a... It's not old... falling for this one, pal. Not falling for <laughs> no, this I, one. No, I'm not saying that it's going to be good. USF is going to be very bad. Oh, you're saying yeah. in a theoretical yes. world where they had a good program that's, or a good AD yes. or a good coach. That's, good. that's exactly, yeah, yeah. In a in a world where USF doesn't have um, – do you know who the defensive coordinator is at USF right now? Oh, I feel like we're this. No, I don't. It's Bob Shoup. <laughs> Turn up, dude. <laughs> so we've got – We've got Bob Shoup and I believe Todd Orlando as well working in the state of Florida right now. So watch out if you're a man. If you're a defensive recruit, two-star defensive recruit in the state of Florida, you're in trouble. <laughs> the super predator. You are actually in danger. Yeah. You should. Yeah. You should not stay around. Yeah. Uh, They're on the list. Yeah, I mean, this is the 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 fucking conference of good on paper. Yeah. Uh, this is the number one good on paper. Like, talk about. Well, I know we'll talk about a little bit here, but Tulane Temple. These are like the ultimate. Well, they should be good on paper. Yeah, These you're in fucking New Orleans and, and and Philadelphia. What are you doing? What do you mean you're bad? You're in New Orleans. What are you talking about? <laughs> Grow this up. This is so silly. What a silly conference. Yeah, yeah, but for, I'm, I really I was rooting for them. I'm pretty pissed off at them right now. I know I have a little venom in my voice. I'm bad yeah. at these guys. Yeah, like, I'm I'm not. I'm really not pleased with the AAC. I think that the Sun Belt has really eaten its lunch. Um, the the 
I, I, I'll, I'll speak on for, for both of us here and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Sun Belt, um, the Big 12, and I guess the Mountain West for just not doing anything stupid have deserved our, our praise of late. But a lot of the other conferences, I think what they're doing has been just dog shit. I think it's been really bad. I, I Like, just outright very, very bad. The, the Sun Belt and the Big 12 seem to be the only ones who actually understand the game that they're playing. And the, the AAC has been, I think, among the worst losers of the bunch. It, it just, like... Obviously, it's not it's not losing USC or UCLA as the Pac-12, but losing the three teams that it did and replacing them with the ones that are coming in while the teams that are staying are doing this is really bad. It's kind of yeah. mind-boggling how badly they fucked this up from where they were in 2017. Basically, all they have to hang their hat on, if the reason why they're still surviving is that the ACC and Big 12 won't make money by taking SMU and Memphis. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh, the only reason this conference still exists right now. Yeah, just hoping that those leagues don't decide to go to twenty four or whatever it is, you know. It, Which they won't probably, yeah. right? Like, maybe like a disbanded Pac twelve tries to pick up SMU. I don't know. Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Look, but again, we really should just you and I should be trying to like get consultancy contracts and talking to these universities and just convincing them that we can make them more money. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're a if you're an SMU right now or, or uh, you know, a Memphis even. Uh, like you said earlier, why are you not being proactive in reaching out to some of those Pac-12 schools and saying like, "Hey, why don't we why don't we do something here? You know, why don't why don't we look to make something work here uh, with with Colorado and Utah and teams like that?" Like, I just I don't know. It seems like it would make sense. It's... People are scared. Scare money don't make money, and they're not making any money. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, well, USF. Let's, let's have these goddamn teams. Let's yeah. see what rip through these boys. Yeah, so USF, the issue here is that uh, Jeff Scott was hired as a recruiter who could install the Clemson culture, which you mm. know what that means when I say that. You know it when you see it, right? That's the uh, the definition of the Clemson culture. Uh, of course, that doesn't work at the G5 level because you have to have good coaches to uh, win games at the G5 level, and the Clemson culture is that it never fires any coaches or hires from without the family, right? So you well, can't what do, can you do you can't do that here. The reason that it works at the P five is because they have more money than everybody else. I, I I don't understand. Why did they think this was going to be a good idea? Well, it's time to hire the guy from the program that could only exist in the P five level. Well, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, but their their talent is I don't know. It's not horrible. It's gotten better under him. He just doesn't know how to use it. Um, he has, of course, immediately gone away away from the idea of a slow build Clemson model style. I take, I think they've taken like 30 transfers in the last three classes. And a bunch of those guys are filling out the two deep here. Um, like I said earlier, they should be good on paper. They should be good. They have former four stars who have transferred in like uh, a Jew, a Jew, who is at Clemson. I think I'm saying that right. Um, Caffrey Brown, who was at North Carolina, I believe the brother of you, you like an Al Jew sandwich. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Who was the wide receiver who was at North Carolina? Last name Brown, because Caffrey is his brother. Um, I don't remember his oh, name. Oh, Diami. Diami Brown. That's right. Yeah, this is this is his brother. He seems like he might be pretty good. Um, Latrell Williams outside. Xavier Weaver outside is legitimately good. Jimmy Horn Jr. looked really good last year as a freshman. Um all of these guys are talented. Uh, Jaron Mangum at running back is talented. Looked pretty good last year. Kelly Joyner Jr. looked pretty good last year. Gary Bohannon, who was a starter at Baylor, was a pretty good starter at Baylor. He's not a superstar, but he can he can move. He can throw. He's he's pretty good. But I just 
I know that they're not going to be any good. I know that they're still going to go three and nine because it is that it's the issue with the Clemson model. It's that this guy only hires his fucking friends and his friends suck at coaching. He doesn't know anybody who's good at coaching. So this is always going to be a limiting factor for them. And so like, I don't, I don't, I don't think it matters. I don't think that there's an individual preview with this team that matters because the coaches here are dog shit. They're going to be bad regardless because they don't have any good coaches. They can't win games. They're not smart. Yep. Yeah, like the, the offensive coordinator here is Travis fucking Trickett. This guy who has just exclusively jumped from job to job because people know his name. That's it. That's the only reason he ever gets hired. He's never done anything. And now he is in charge of running cool name, this though. offense. Yeah, cool name, though. It's, he's got that going for him. But, like, they have, like, 18 starters back, and I just don't think any of them are going to be in positions to succeed. They haven't been for years now. It's It's been an issue for Jeff Scott. It was an issue for Charlie Strong. It's just not a it's not a well run program, all top to bottom. And and Jeff Scott obviously was not up to the task of structurally fixing that. And Charlie Strong certainly wasn't. Charlie Strong openly said as much he had no interest in doing that. But that is the issue that USF faces right now, is that right now it has bad coaches, as it has for the last several years, but it also has bad infrastructure. I still don't think they have an indoor practice facility in South Florida. It's just a bad program. It's not a program that has taken football seriously. It took for granted being good under Willie Taggart, and it is now suffering from, from you know, the, the long-term fallout of that is, is that they have talent, they have players who should be good, but they don't have any ability to put them in the position to succeed. And, and they're broke. Yeah, they're broke. Yeah. Which, I don't know if they're actually broke. I'm just calling them broke. I mean, probably. Just look at them. Look at those uniforms. They're broke. Yeah. Nothing going on. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not impressed by any of them, essentially. I think they're all pretty pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the question that I have here, and we talked about this a little bit on the, uh, on the Fire That Coach show. Um, Ryan, have you seen the start to this, this schedule for USF? Uh, I feel like I have. Yeah, tell me about it. So <laughs> it's uh, BYU at home to open the season, Howard at home, at Florida, at Louisville, ECU at home, at Cincinnati are the first six games. That's not good. Mm. <laughs> that's not, that's, that's not, good. not what you want. No. So then out of that, from which they will be one in five, I don't think there's a single question about it. They will be one in five. They're going to get Tulane at home and then a bye week. Um, my question is, if – I mean, he loses that game. You gotta fire him, right? Going into the bye week, you gotta fire him. He loses to Tulane at home, sitting at one and six. Maybe one more win on the schedule. You gotta fire the guy. Get him out of here. It's embarrassing. It's yeah. very embarrassing. Yeah, this is a. Uh, I, I really don't like talking about these guys because they're just awful. Just a bad, bad program from top to bottom. Time to wrap them up. <laughs> yeah, get them out of here. No, thank you. All right. Uh... What else do we have uh, on this tier? We have goddamn motherfucking Temple. Yeah, we got Temple. Temple, first of all, I think we talked about this. The Stan Drayton hire, I actually like Stan Drayton, but it just makes no sense as a hire. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand it at all. Yeah, this is one of these that that I think it was sort of, it's sort of victim of some of the other names that we knew that were on the board, right? Like Elijah Robinson at Texas A&M and... Um, who was your guy, the, the, the longtime high school coach? Uh, Terry Smith. Terry Smith, yeah. Um, we see those names on the board, and then it's like you hire the career running backs coach. I, I mean, he's, he has connections to the area, but the career running backs coach, really? That's the guy? That's your pick to, to resurrect the program after Rod Carey killed it? Like I, 
it's just it's strange. It's a strange hire. It, it's I like Stan Drayton too. I think he's a good football coach, but a head coach, really? <laughs> Is this for this program? I I just it doesn't make like, a lot of sense. If you're gonna if you're gonna do that version of that guy, like position coach who's been a good career in the past. There are like 14 versions of that guy that makes more sense. Okay, your name Terry Smith, Elijah Robinson makes way more sense. Yeah, a guy like Joe Moorhead makes more sense as a coordinator. Uh, you know, Larry Johnson, if you want to be ambitious, like mm-hmm. a lot of guys here who have uh, much much better history that could make more sense to me. Man, late stage Larry Johnson head coaching uh, arc would have been really cool. I don't would know. be very funny. Yeah. Well, definitely will never happen, but no. would be amusing. Yeah, that would have been just interesting. I don't, I don't even know what that would look like. But in its current state, this is the the situation that Temple finds itself in. Um, something I do want to note here, just just because it's. I think kind of troubling about the Stan Drayton hire makes me feel a lot worse about it. I'm more optimistic about it than I think you are, but having seen his hires, I'm worried about that a little bit because he hired Danny Langsdorf for his offensive coordinator, who was Mm. most recently at Colorado, um, which is not already not good that he was just in Colorado. Uh, He is a Mike Riley guy. He comes off the Mike Riley tree. He was the Oregon State offensive coordinator from like 2005 to 2013. You don't want to ever come off the Mike Riley tree. No, and then he was at at Nebraska when the – the drunk driving receivers coach was out there, so he's uh, he's got cool friends. Oh, uh, Keith Williams, right? Yeah, he's Keith in the NFL Williams. now, isn't he? Yeah, he's with the Ra- he's with the Ravens, I think. Um, cool. Yeah, guy. I'm pulling him up. Yeah, and... I think he's like their passing game. Yep, he is now with the Ravens. Uh, good for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that he's he's uh, just terrorizing the streets of Baltimore. Um, but uh, they so Danny Langsdorf is the offensive coordinator, which is troubling. The defensive coordinator is DJ Elliott, who was most recently, I, I want to say most recently, the defensive coordinator for Les Miles at Kansas. That's not that's not good either. That's also not. I, I that's pretty. I bad. know that I'm condemning these guys based on their connections, right? But your connections are pretty much the whole thing that you are as a college football coach. And these guys' connections are dog shit. They're horrible. This man worked for less miles at fucking Kansas. That's really bad. That's that's not what you want to see. That's so awful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, God, I don't know. What What's even the upside for this program, Patrick? Give me the pitch on the upside here. So long term, I mean, it's still in Philadelphia. It's going to be, I guess, moving up in the world by virtue of Cincinnati leaving and, and it's sort of becoming the what de facto Midwest team in the in the uh, American. Um this season, it's a little bit harder to sell. The offense has some starters back. Dwan Mathis is back at quarterback. He's somehow only a sophomore. Uh, it feels like I've known about Dwan Mathis for about eight years now. Um, but Way he, too long. He's back, and he's a sophomore. Um, rushing game was not good last year. Receiving core is okay. I like uh, Jose Barbone. I think he's pretty good. I think Ahmad Anderson Jr. could be pretty good in the slot. Um, don't really know who was going to get the nod for that number three spot. They didn't do a great job in the transfer portal. They did okay. Um, defense is harder to make a positive case for. They bring back a linebacker who's pretty good. The front is going to be bad. Um, they have two cornerbacks who I like, and Cameron Paul or uh, Cameron Ruiz and, and Keyshawn Paul. But uh, the upside this year is not super strong. The upside long-term is that they are in Philadelphia and – their recent history outside of Rod Carey is very good. They've been good since 2006. They had a, you know, a, a negative blip, but Stan Drayton is closer to the coaches who engineered that resurrection from 2006 on than Rod Carey was. Certainly, you know, it, it's, those were all former assistants. They were granted coordinators, but 
Al Golden was an assistant at Virginia before he took over. Steve Adazio was at Florida. Matt Rule, I want to say, was with the Giants. Um, Jeff Collins was with Florida, right? Like, these are not former head coaches who took over this program. These are these are new guys. And so there's a case to be made that that's just the better fit for this sort of job. And, and Drayton certainly has ambition. He's certainly a capable recruiter, especially in this area. So I think that that's the long-term upside. But I think that he probably, if these initial hires are any indication, he's going to have to learn the hard way how to be a head coach. And that's going to mean firing these guys in two years. So I think like three years from now, we can start to see maybe some potential here when he realizes that just hiring old guys does not mean that you are smarter. It does not make your program more like advanced or more prepared for moving forward. It just makes it really lazy and shitty because there's a reason these guys are available to Temple. It's it's not it's not a positive. It's not like, oh, we got these really experienced guys. Every time I see that a coordinator is experienced in a, in a G5 uh, you know, news release, I'm very he's worried. He's going to be bad. Yeah, I'm very worried about that. There's a reason he's here. If you're experienced and you're coaching at Temple, you're probably not very good. It's There's a reason for that. Yeah, uh, it's 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 bad, man. Like, I, I don't know. Why would you uh, – I, I just don't see – how this team does does anything on the side of the football here. They seem like they're be a terrible football team. Have you put up the record yet? We're going to go through this here. Um, so they've got at Duke to start the season, then Lafayette, the what is it, FCS or D2 or it is Patriot League team, um, Rutgers and UMass all at home, uh, at Memphis, at UCF, Tulsa at home, at Navy, USF at home, at Houston, Cincinnati, and ECU at home to end the season. Um, I think they could get three or four. Right, Lafayette, UMass, um, and then one of those conference games, I guess. I don't know which one it would be, probably USF or Navy. Um, so I, I think they can get three, four if Dwan Mathis ends up being good. But it's we haven't seen that happen yet, and also he doesn't have a whole lot of help. So it, it's it's hard to be too optimistic about this team. It was, it was one of like – it was literally one of three teams in college football last year that was in the 120s in offensive and defensive scoring uh, like nationally, and the other two were UMass and UConn. Like it's not good. It's, it's, a, it's a bad setup. <laughs> My God. Yeah. My God. Yeah, it's uh, I think probably a three-win season here, and that honestly might be kind of generous. Getting a conference game is going to be easier said than done, I think. That is a safe bet, Patrick. I think that is a safe bet. Boy, these guys uh, suck. Really sad what has happened to Temple here. I really liked Temple when it was cooking. Like it was, it was really cool when Matt Rule had him on fucking game day. That was awesome, right? And this just this sucks. <laughs> this is really shitty and not good. It's really bad. It's uh, yeah, man. I don't know. Uh, this is depressing. Me, you move on to the next uh, the next one here. Yeah, tier four. We've got Navy okay. up first. We've got our, our boys mm, in blue. They suck, huh? Yeah. Um, they might be better this year, at least marginally. I, I, they're certainly not going to be 11 and 2 again, but um, it's been a tough couple of years here. They have had not generational quarterback play, which is an issue with New York Service Academy. You kind of have to have generational quarterback play, um, and you have to have a defense that can create big plays. And Navy didn't have either of those last year. That was pretty much the entire root of its of its problem, which has been. That was the case in, uh, in in 2020 as well. They were, like, honestly, in most defensive stats, like like you know rushing yards, passing yards, whatever it might be, the, the general defensive stats, they were fine. They were top 40 in rushing and, and total defense, but they couldn't 
create sacks at all. They were like 120 in sacks. I think they had 16 sacks last season, which is pathetic. It's it's a ridiculous number, um, and they were not a whole lot better in tackles for loss or interceptions or fumbles or anything like that. And so it's just when you run this kind of defense, when you're doing the aggressive, and I, I know that everybody says Ben don't break, but this is literally Ben don't break. This is the actual version of what Ben don't break is. When you are so aggressively doing, you know, committed to Ben don't break as a as an ideology, um, and you don't create turnovers or big plays, you're just going to allow five yard completions all the way down the field every time the other team touches the ball, and they're going to score touchdowns on you, which is what happened in Navy last year. Um, and of course, the offense wasn't good enough to keep up with that. So. It's uh, it was bad. It was not good. the The results last season were really troubling for the long term outlook for this program. Uh yeah, I couldn't agree more. I definitely could not agree more. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm just kind of like skeptical in the long term value of what they're doing here, too. Right? Like, it just seems yeah. like uh, it seems like they're maybe getting figured out a little bit because the other kind of programs do the same thing. Uh, do you worry they're kind of falling behind in this? you know, Academy arms race. Um, I, yeah, certainly. I, I think that I, I need to see another down year before I start to really believe that it is like a, a trend to be, you know, the alarm to be sounded about. Right. Because I do, I do trust Ken Niamato Lolo. I think he's a really good coach. I think that he, if anybody's going to get it turned around, it will be him. Um, but if this is another four and eight year, right. Even with a, a, now a more veteran quarterback and Ty Levitai coming back, um, in a defense that has six starters back, a lot of intrigue, especially on the the defensive front. Two safeties coming back. Um, you know there there should be there should be more ability here. There should be an ability to get close to a bowl game, if not there. And then you look at Air Force, which is you know right near the top of the Mountain West. I think Air Force might win the Mountain West this year. You look at Army, which is going nine and three every year, doing really well. And then you look at Navy, and it's just like man. I don't know. I don't know what happened here. I don't know how it fell apart so quickly. Um, this is like I, I I said as much in my preview today. All of the the hand wringing we've talked about this so many times, but the hand wringing about NIL is not uh, applicable at ninety nine percent of the schools. It is actually applicable here. These guys can't take NIL deals. They're not allowed. <laughs> like as a as a member of the service academy, they can't do it. And so I think that there is at least somewhat of an impact here. Um, at least more so than there is at fucking, you know, Nebraska or whatever people are claiming. Um, but the, the transfer rules are such, and the NIL rules are such that I think that you are seeing Air Force and and Army have done a really good job of adapting, but you are seeing Navy sort of fall behind. And I think that that's, that's, has to be part of it. And, And also part of it is that they are in a conference and traditionally that has just not been good in the long term for army or navy for some reason air force has been able to sustain this but army and navy it's just it's really hard to be in a conference as these teams because the teams you're playing every year get used to seeing you and they get used to figuring out what to do to defend you um and so i think that we're seeing a little bit of all of that right now yeah yeah i mean i think it's a very valid point and i guess the question is do you think ken eventually leaves for a different program or do you think he stays here and sticks it out man i read a story today from the athletic that had some quotes from him um it certainly doesn't sound like a man who is committed to staying long term <laughs> at Navy. I will say um, there was nothing like specifically glaring. There's just a tone to him where he sounds—I don't know if "defeated" is the right word—but it sounds like he has sort of 
come to a conclusion before everybody else has on the future viability of Navy. Um, and mm. so I never a good sign when your coach, is the first one to bail on you. Yeah. When the coach is like the, the quotes are like uh, him saying, you know, we're going to see how this season goes. And if we go four and eight again, it doesn't bode well. Right. Like that was like one of his actual quotes is that if we go four and eight again, it does not bode well for the future. Like, yeah. You're not wrong, but you don't usually say it <laughs> as a as a coach. Um, he's only fifty seven. I I'd like to think that he would get a shot somewhere else, right? I don't know where it would be. Um, it should have been at Hawaii, but Hawaii doesn't have the money for it. Um, he did coach at UNLV briefly. That would be a great fucking hire. Oh my god, that would be a great hire. Are you kidding me? That's the that's the thing that I want as I as I think about it. He was at UNLV for three years. That would be a absolutely fantastic hire. Um, he should go to UNLV. I don't know if he's going to. But he should go to UNLV. That would be perfect. Just convince them to run the option first. What's that? Just convince them to run the option. Yeah, first. of course. Yeah, yeah, naturally. But uh, man, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be so good. The Mountain West does need a. It needs another. Uh, needs another option team. So it's, uh, it's time Ken, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that it's, I, I, it doesn't bode well. The future here does not look super bright. They could turn around if, if, uh, if Ty is good, I think is going to be really the main, the main thing. If the defense can take steps forward and make some more big plays with so much of that line coming back, then it will be helpful. But really the, the outlook here this season and long-term is going to come back to quarterback play. And I, I like Ty. I think he's good. I think he's, I think he can be good. He looked really good at the end of last season when they beat Temple and Army, um, but he needs to keep doing that. He needs to be the kind of guy who can make plays without the offensive structure, right? That was what made Keenan Reynolds and what made Malcolm Perry so good. You have to be able to do that for these offenses to really excel, and I think he can, but if he doesn't, then, yeah, it's, they're in trouble. They're in trouble this year. They're in trouble long term. Yeah, big time. Um, have you pulled up their schedule yet? Do you want to go through it? Yeah, uh, they got Delaware, Memphis at home to start the season. Then at ECU, at Air Force, um, probably only taking one of those, right? Uh, probably, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, Tulsa at home, at SMU, Houston at home, uh, and then Temple at home. Um, I think you get two of those. I think you get Tulsa and Temple at home. That doesn't seem unrealistic um and then close the season jesus christ uh close the season at cincinnati uh notre dame neutral site at ucf and then army neutral site uh that's a bad <laughs> that's a bad way to close the season that looks a lot like three wins um mm, man I, on, I honestly i don't know where even i don't know where more wins would come from looking at this schedule i guess you could get memphis early on in the season um Man, I doubt it. Maybe one of Air Force and Army. Even then, we're talking about that's five. Man, that's oh boy, that's a tough schedule. That's a really, really tough schedule in a league that does not generate a ton of tough schedules anymore. Uh, that is a that's a brutal setup. I, I, the the permanent non-conference. This bears mentioning as well. The permanent non-conference of Notre Dame and Army is fucking miserable. That is a horrible uh, every year non-conference pair. Uh, and also, yeah, but I mean, who, I've actually I've kind of come around to this idea. This is actually a good time to talk about it. Navy fans don't expect to win a national championship, right? Yeah. Air Force too. I'll mention. I I forgot Air Force. Okay, but I mean, I mean it's safe to say. They don't ever expect to win any kind of championship, except maybe a conference one in the best season yep. in recent memory. Yeah. So 
who cares if the non-con games are tough? If you're like, if you're a fan of a middling college football team, stop bitching about a hard non-con. Try to maximize like your non-con games. Just play the teams you want to play because you like to see them on the schedule. Like if yeah. you're Pitt, you're not fucking making the playoff. Like you may even make a, make a 12 team playoff if the season goes great like last year. Uh, you're not like just play West Virginia every year. Who cares? Your fans want to see it. Just get, yeah. I mean, just have fun. I agree. The people who care are coaches who will be fired for <laughs> losing. Nine that's not games my problem. <laughs> yeah, that's those are the people who care though. That's that's for whom it is a brutal non-conference to get Air Force, Notre Dame, and Army every year. Um, we we'll get a better team. Yeah, get a better team. I guess is probably the answer. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to come down to quarterback play, and I I just I don't think that there's a whole lot of room even for. Uh, improvement if he is good. I think that they're probably capped at about five wins because of the the road bouts that they have here, because of the schedule that they have in front of them. It's just tough. It's going to be a tough year, I think, for Navy. And I I don't know what the long term looks like for Kenny Amatololo. I I honestly, for his sake, I hope that he can find something else because I just don't think that this is viable long term. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I agree with you. Um, well, do we run Tulane? Yeah, let's talk about Tulane. So here's another team that sucks. Uh, what's up with Willie Fritz, dude? He's an asshole. Yeah, I'm sick of this guy. I I just why did he do this? Why did <laughs> why did he do this? Why did he spend his entire life coaching the fucking spread option and, and running this cool ass offense and riding it all the way to a, a you know a, a, an FBS like a pretty good FBS job, you know one at Sam Houston State, one at Georgia Southern, one at uh, at Central Missouri. He run at Blinn College. The man was winning as a JUCO coach. Gets to Tulane, goes like six and six a couple times, and, and offense is just starting to click. And then goes out and recruits a pocket passer in Michael Pratt, and has decided that they don't want to do this anymore. They still run some option stuff, but this is largely a throwing offense at this point. They don't run the ball as well as they used to. And I just, I just don't understand. It's, it's like, I know that I'm the option guy and that it's my, my, my shtick and that I think that the option works really well, more so than most people do. And I, that's true. But also why, why would he do this? This is your, just throwing away his entire coaching identity. He spent 30 years doing this, 40 years doing this, you know, and then getting to the end of your career and you just fucking give it up. Oh, you know, time to hire Chip Long. <laughs> Why? It's so embarrassing, dude. It's just so embarrassing. Um, it just. Bum- I, it, I, it, I keep saying that, but all these teams, I realize that. But it, it's. I'm embarrassed how they mismanaged that. Like Tulane should be one of the best programs in the G5. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a program that has had. It has such a rich history of innovative coaches having huge success, right? That is the thing that is rewarded here. For years and years, that is the thing that is rewarded here. Like, I can't remember who all the names were, but like five or six coaches here in the the early stages of college football back before the, you know, 70s and before, you had like five straight coaches who turned this into a, a really big job. You know, it's like coaches who went on to win national championships, coaches who were in the College Football Hall of Fame. And then, you know, you have, there's there's a couple decades of quiet after they leave the SEC. But, you know, the, the, uh, the 1998 team with Tommy Bowden, that is one of the most influential college football teams of all time. That's, you know, going out and hiring Richrod to run that offense. That was the team that launched the offenses that everyone is running now. It's college football in its modern form does not exist without that Tulane team. It is a place that you, by design, have to be innovative. They go out and hired Willie Fritz. 
I can't imagine that they did it because they thought he was a great fucking recruiter, that he could run a standard offense. That's not why you hire Willie Fritz. And so if this was an internal decision, you know, we, we want you to run more of a standard spread, then obviously that's insane. But I just can't imagine that it was. I think he did this. I think that it was just, I think he just decided to do this. It's the same thing that Jamie Chadwell is doing right now. It drives me nuts. It's just, your shit was working. Why are you going away from what you believe in? It works. You don't, you don't need to change this, the, the stuff that you're doing. This, the What you're doing is fine. It works really well. You can't be fucking embarrassed of it. It's it's that's that's what it comes back to with a lot of this league for me, but especially Tulane is it feels like they're fucking embarrassed by their own success. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? <laughs> Just do the thing that yeah. works. Why are you so embarrassed about it? Just do it. There's nothing wrong with running the option. It's fine. It works. It fucking works. It's just what it's like do what you do to win games. That's all it is. That's the whole job. Pretty much, man. Pretty much. I mean, I guess the only thing is if and it's not the thing is if it was an administration problem, the admin said, like, hey, we're not gonna run option football, like we're we're we need to recruit better than that, I would understand it. But it's just like it's just bad coaching, right? Yeah. And well, at that point, just fire him. Fire him and go hire sure. Chip Long if you want to do that. Like I don't care. It's not, you know, <laughs> don't make Willie Fritz do this. It's ridiculous. It's this is not what he does, and it's just, he keeps doing it. I think they're gonna do it again this year. And it's just you know, that's really the theme with this league. I said it earlier. I'm just bummed out. I'm bummed out about a lot of these teams. They have either fallen off for, for reasons that I don't quite understand yet, like Navy, but some of them have done it because they have just gone away from what worked. They looked at what was working and they thought, well, we don't need to do that anymore. We could do something else that's worse. And I just, you know, Temple did it with Rod Carey. USF did it with Charlie Strong. Tulane is doing it right now with Willie Fritz. I... I just don't get it. I don't know why. I don't know what has driven these teams to do this. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, what can you say, dude? What can you possibly say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I apologize for this this preview being such a downer, but like, I don't know, man. Just don't watch this league. It's not good. It's a it's a bunch of very sad shit happening here. It's just. Uh, programs that seem listless and uninterested in winning in ways that they understand they could they could do that they have done before and it's just like this is the exact kind of stuff that drives us crazy is this the, the, these these teams that just get in their own way for no reason there's no benefit to doing any of this and they just keep doing it every year <laughs> every year there's a team that takes out its glock and shoots itself in both kneecaps just for no reason just for fun oh i might as well this sounds like a good time let's go hire chip fucking long that'll be good blah blah stupid just stupid, just, stupid they just don't take it seriously right they just don't uh I mean, that's their issue is they just don't care enough about the uh, about football. Yeah, that's why they should hire us as consultants because we care too much. <laughs> we care too much, but we're right. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's our that's the show's motto. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have a ton else on Tulane. I mean, I think that you know it, it's the the question for last year. They went two and ten is what went wrong, and it's everything. It's that everything went wrong. It's that their ideology went wrong. They changed too much. And they bring back a bunch of starters this year, but I have no reason to think that they're going to go back to what they were doing. That the offensive coordinator hire they made is not a, an option guy by any means. I just, 
I don't know. I, I they, they still have some neat stuff in the offense, but they've gone away from so much of it that it's just not recognizable anymore. Um, they start the season at UMass, or not at UMass, Jesus, uh, UMass at home, then Alcorn State at home. They'll win those two. They also have Southern Miss at home uh, in game four. I think they'll probably win that one as well. Uh, but between those, they have at Kansas State, and then after Southern Miss, they go to Houston, ECU at home. Uh, they're going to lose all three of those games, so probably a 3-3 three and three start. Um, and then they close the season at USF, uh, Memphis at home, at Tulsa, UCF at home, SMU at home, at Cincinnati. Um, so I, I think they probably get four or five uh, of this, but they're, I don't think they're going to be very good. I think it's just by virtue of USF and, and Tulsa and, and Southern Miss and teams like that being worse, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, yeah. It doesn't seem like anyone seems to think they're – a, they're not a serious program, right? It's just they might get by on their own, but they're not they're not good. Yeah, I, I like Ty J Spears, the running back. I, I think that he's good. I wish that they would hand him the fucking football more. Um defense most of the back seven is back, which could be pretty good, but it's just it, it's it's hard to generate a whole lot of excitement here because they have gone away from what worked and I just you know, what do you want me to do? Why why should I be excited about this? It's obvious that they aren't. They they don't fucking care about this. They they have given up on what worked, and they have given they have they have turned into the exact same thing that everybody else is doing. Which why would you be able to do it better? Doesn't make any sense. What what do you do that makes it so that you can run the fucking gimmicky RPO offense better than anybody else does? It's the same thing that everybody else is doing. You have no advantage. You've you've completely given up any sort of edge that you would have so that you can run the same offense that the every other team in this league except for Navy is already running. It's stupid. Well, uh, you want to keep talking about them, or do you want to switch it up? Let's talk about another team that has done pretty much just this as well. <laughs> pretty much just the exact same. Folks, really going to be until like tier three or two that we start to talk about teams that we actually like, and even then, there are some teams in there that we don't like. It's a tough, uh, it's a tough draw here. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the bad news. Your best coach and kind of the only exciting thing about your program just got hired by somebody else. Yeah. If you're Tulsa, if you're Tulsa and we're talking about Tulsa. Yes. Yeah. Joseph- you are depending on like the 78th best quarterback in college football as the core of your team. Yeah. That's yeah. your season. Yeah. Davis. Uh, Patrick, any thoughts? Yeah. Davis Brennan is back at quarterback. He is, as you said, the 78th best quarterback in college football. That seems about fair. Um, they do have Keelan Stokes back at wide receiver and, and Juan Carlos Santana. I think that they're both okay. Um, Santana's pretty good. Uh, rushing attack here is, is okay. Probably going to take a step back. Um, generic price Prince is, is fine. Um, but like you said, Joseph Gillespie is gone. He has left for TCU, which is a great fucking hire. Fantastic hire. Can't believe he didn't get a better job. Um, but the uh, that that's going to hurt, as is the departure of eight starters on that defense. It's This is a defense that has seen just an unbelievable amount of attrition in the last couple of years from that 2019, I want to say it was 2019 group that was really good with, um, you know, like a Caleb Evans and uh, who was the big motherfucker? Um the line. Uh, Zaven Collins. Zaven Collins. That's right. Um, Damn. I, you're just, by the way, you just asked me to pull up old guys today and I'm just delivering. I have yeah, not missed yet. I guess that was 2020. You, yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that you just asked me to pull out like six names though. So far in the podcast and yeah, I think I'm like, yeah, you're nailing it's probably like four, but I'm like four out of four. Yeah. I feel but, like good. I feel like good. <laughs> but all of those guys are gone. The, the stars of those fun defenses are gone as is 
the architect of them. Justin Wright is back at linebacker, as is Tyon Davis at cornerback and, and Kendaren Ray at safety. But everybody else on the defense is new starters um, or guys who have contributed but maybe aren't very good, like Anthony Goodlow, uh, despite the name. Um, and so I just – it's yeah it's like you like you said it's davis brin davis brin is the core of your team because your defense has eight new starters and you lost your defensive coordinator defense probably is still going to be okay i guess i, I think that there's enough talent here that it should be decent but it, it was taking steps back last year it's going to continue to do so and i just don't think that the offense is going to be good enough to make up for it um it's they're just they're right back where they were (laughs) you know this is this is where they were before that 2020 run and they're they're right back there where it's just like maybe they will contend for a bowl game but probably not unless they get a couple lucky breaks they start the season at wyoming um which should be a win wyoming is bad uh then niu at home fun game that's I, i like that they scheduled that uh jacksonville state at home at ole miss cincinnati at home they're going to lose three of those games. They'll beat Jacksonville State, so two and three. At Navy, at Temple, SMU, at home, Tulane at home. Um, probably two of those, right? I, w- I would think, maybe. One of the one of the road games and then Tulane, uh, potentially. Uh, and then at Memphis, USF at home, and at Houston to end the season. So, yeah, um, trying to compete for a bowl game, probably not getting there, probably coming up at five and seven or four and eight. Um it's yeah they're right back where they were this is this is what Tulsa was before 2020 and it is what it will continue to be until it either decides to make a change at coach or just I guess the heat death of the universe it's just gonna keep doing this I think yep yep well that's about all I have on Tulsa very uninteresting program <laughs> just not all right not much going on <laughs> uh Patrick we're on a tier three yeah I Thank have at least one God. program I am mildly interested in this tier. Yeah. I think I'm interested in two of these teams, just two in the tier, right? I like kind of like interested in both of them. Yeah. Uh, hey, Memphis, uh, what's going on here? What happened to all the good players? Yeah. So Memphis's big thing in the, in the 2010s was the, the skill core machine, right? That would just produce draft picks every single year. It felt like they always had a, uh, just a bizarre, like six foot two, one hundred and ninety-five pound running back who was a thousand yard rusher and then a five hundred yard receiver. That they had a wide receiver who just like wasn't fast but had AD receptions, things like that. And they just haven't had those guys the last couple of years. Offense was really challenged in a couple places last season. Um, scored seven points against UCF. Good God, that's horrible. Uh, rushing attack. Oh. Rushing attack was not good, which is brutal it's brutal it's really really bad for memphis that its rushing attack was not good um javon ducker is here from niu he's good he is a good running back i hope that they actually get him on the field because he's really talented but there's not really an anthony miller here there's not really a calvin austin here and it's just i don't know what is here you know seth hennigan i think is okay at quarterback i think he might be fine they have three starters back on the offensive line. Javon Ivory and Eddie Lewis are back at wide receiver, but neither of them are any good. And so it's just, you know, Javon Ducker might be good, but the rushing attack was in the 90s last year for yards per game. It was really bad. It just feels like they've sort of lost that edge that they had. And I don't know if it was a recruiting thing. I don't know the recruiting rankings for Memphis off the top of my head. Um I can't imagine that it's that it's been a huge drop there. I, I I would think it's pretty similar. I think it's just that 
you know, we talked about this in the Fire That Coach episode. You're getting into copy of a copy territory here. You're getting into right. Norvell was the next version of Fuente, and now we're talking about the next version of Norvell in, in Silverfield. And, and somebody who has never run a program before really wasn't, I don't think, even a coordinator before like 2019 or something. Um, and, and so it's just, he's just not very creative. The thing that was so good about those offenses was how creative they were, was how creative Fuente and Norvell were, and I just don't think Silverfield is that guy. He's an offensive line coach, and he coaches like one. It, it yeah, they look like an offensive line coach led program, like a not very good offensive line coach led program. I yeah. just, I don't have a ton of reason to be excited here. Yeah, I, I mean, it kind of comes back to this idea of like what you think you need out of the head of your program, right? Yeah. And I, I think too often people want to go over like, well, he was good enough in his previous job. And let's just keep him going up to the next level, right? Just promote him one step higher. Yeah, we don't want to change and, what was working, that kind of thing. Right, right. And I think instead you have to look for traits that make successful coaches, right? Yeah. Like guys who really give a shit about recruiting, who have attention to detail, guys who are going to like, who can identify talent on the people, whether it's in on the field, whether it's in coaching. Like you have to have a network and you have to be able to like build your network out with identifying strong coaching talent. And too many coaches cannot do that. Yeah. Uh, it, it, like, I don't know. Uh, hire better recruiters. That's more important than, than it is to have a good coordinator as your head coach. The yeah. coach can always hire a coordinator. That's like his job to do that, actually. Yeah. I, I'm I'm curious. I don't know that we've ever talked about this before. The the best uh, like background for a coach to have for for how we view them as a potential head coach, right? Like, like position that we would most want them coming from. Because I, I think that with with Silverfield, who Last was a, is defensive coordinator, I'd say, right? It's got to be up there, yeah. <laughs> Certainly, it can be. I think it's it's one of those that the the complaint is that it's too insular, and I think in a lot of cases it is, because um, it's so you're so deep in the weeds when you're a defensive coordinator. Um, but I think that offensive line coach is a really interesting one because a a competent, strong offensive line coach who people sort of gravitate to, who has that kind of personality, who can get after it on the recruiting trail. I think the the potential of a guy like that as a head coach is really, really high, right? Sam Pittman is the the first guy who comes to mind. When you have an offensive line coach who has that understanding of football physically, who can add that sort of that level of coaching to to the actual rooms that are calling players that are designing an offense, and he's also a gamer on the recruiting trail. He's somebody who people like. He's somebody who can who can carry himself well. That's a that's a recipe for a really good football coach. But I think that like with defensive coordinators, the bust rate with offensive line coaches has to be astronomical because a lot of these guys are just little freaks. They're just, you know they're, they're just like and I say that for a lot of these guys as a compliment. That's what they want. They just want to coach the offensive line. And I I have to wonder if Silverfield was that kind of guy where it's just like. He doesn't really talk to people very often, you know. He's not really the kind of person sure. who you would want to lead a room because he's just a dork. He's just an offensive line dork, and there's a lot of people in that position. Yeah, I mean, like there is something to the idea of like you should hire coaches at positions where uh, you have to have coordination and players working together, but that's like a nice bonus. Yeah. Uh, what you really need is a guy who can fucking go get recruits, uh, a dynamic recruiter, a guy who sees a vision for the larger program and sees a way he's going to build and improve upon what already exists and not just kind of keep it as is. Yeah. Uh, and guys who are just trying to recreate the same old thing or keep the same thing going just don't really work. Right. It doesn't yeah. really, doesn't really work. Yeah. There are very few 
of the sort of savant football brain coaches who are successful in the long term, uh, you know, as, as head coaches, there's just, it's really hard to do. You have to be really fucking smart and you also have to be a much better, uh, you know, manager of talent than most people in that position are, right? Like Nick Saban is very unique because he has that football understanding, but because he also knows how to run a room, Dave, Dave Aranda, same thing, right? Most of those coaches, most coaches are not able to do those both of those things. Most guys who are specific scheme savants or whatever it is, pretty much just do that because it's it's a lot. It's a lot to do. It's you know you spend your entire life as a coach if you're an offense first guy. You know you work your way up to an offensive coordinator. You know a fucking lot about offense, but you haven't done a whole lot else. You know, and I, I think that that's really what Memphis is bumping into here with Ryan Silverfield is that he's an offensive line coach and you hired him as your head coach, and that's two different jobs you know you're you're not when you're picking a head coach it, like you said you are not just picking the smartest football mind you are picking a a a leader of your program somebody with a vision for your program and I think a lot of coaches just don't have that especially when you're product from when you're promoting from within it's really easy to stumble into a guy like this who just doesn't has never thought about it before <laughs> doesn't need to you know why would I and so I think that that's sort of what Memphis is stumbling into here yeah, definitely. Um, I guess now we got done talking about the existential uh, things facing their facing their program here. Uh, what do you expect out of the offense this season? Uh, it's going to depend, I think, a lot on Javon Ducker, who, again, I, I like a lot. He was really good at NIU. Um, the guys who are coming back, I don't have a whole lot of interest in. Brandon Thomas was fine. Uh, Rodriguez Clark was meh, not very good. Um, Ducker was good. He was Mac freshman of the year last year, rushed for almost 1,200 yards. I think that he might change some of their fortunes in the running game. I hope they need it. They they really really badly need it because the thing that made this offense so good under Norvell and under Fuente was how explosive this running game was and how how much you had to focus on keeping their their backs contained. And while you're doing that, the passing game is pretty much entirely deep balls. They're just throwing the ball down the field, and so it's it's a lot of field to have to cover when that happens. And when the running back is not explosive in this offense or the running game is not explosive, whatever it might be, it just doesn't work. The whole thing doesn't work. And I think Seth Hennigan is the kind of guy who would really benefit from an explosive halfback next to him. I think Javon Ducker could be that guy. So I have hopes for this offense. I think it could be good. But Ducker needs to be that guy, and then they need guys like Javon Ivory. They need guys like Eddie Lewis, Gabriel Rogers to step up into larger roles. Uh, Joseph Skates is here as well, who's a, a transfer at, from uh, Iowa State. Um, I, they need the receivers to be dynamic, deep threats, and they really need Javon Ducker to be good. I, I'm, I would be shocked if he's not the starter on on day one. I think he's the best of the bunch. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. Um, I don't know. Beyond that, uh, looking at the other side of the football, uh, Ooh, old friend of the show, uh, Matt Barnes, has shown up at Memphis <laughs> to be the defensive coordinator here. Uh, why? Yeah. It's a fair question on both sides. Why? Why Memphis? Why Matt Barnes? It's uh, it's it's really hard to know. Uh, he's certainly not walking into a great situation. They have four starters back from a a bad defense, a like bottom of the league defense. Um, Quindell Johnson's pretty good at safety, and that's his position. So I guess he's got that. He's got two starters back at safety and a starter back at cornerback, and then the other starter is a defensive end. There is a, a bunch of defense between those positions that might cause them some problems. Um, 
but I, I, Tyler Murray is here from Charlotte. He was pretty good at Charlotte as a linebacker. I think that he might help, but I just I don't think the defense is going to be very good. I don't know if it's going to be a Matt Barnes problem or a fact that they don't have a whole lot of returning production. Um, probably a little bit of both, but I, I don't have high hopes for this defense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I also don't have high hopes for Matt Barnes. I think he sucks. Yeah, probably. I mean, that seems to be the indication given his time at Ohio State because he didn't do anything in, what, three years at Ohio State as a recruiter, right. as a coach, as a seemingly as a person. Don't really know what he was even <laughs> Just hanging out, just, just hanging out, just, just collecting paychecks. Out. He did his one big thing he did, right? Or was this him or was this, uh, uh, who was the other guy from Washington state that came in for that one year? Grinch, Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch. Was it Grinch or Matt Barnes that recruited Bryson Shaw? Uh, that was, I think Grinch. it was Grinch. Yeah, that was Grinch. The big sell was the, he was a lacrosse player. Um, yeah, which is awesome. Okay. Well, either way, Matt Barnes, much like Ryan Silverfield is kind of just like, He's just uh, a, an, an anti, I'll, I'll call him anti-social. Would be nice. Uh, <laughs> a guy who has zero charisma and doesn't seem to have any connection to any kind of players is known for being like a quote-unquote football mind. Doesn't actually have any football mind evidence on his resume. Yeah. Uh, he's a, a useless coach. Yeah, he was considered the savior at Ohio State for one week last season by the dumbest people on earth because he knew what cover one meant instead of just running cover three on every play. Dude, unreal. Unreal. <laughs> Football journalism is a fucking tragedy. It's uh, so cool, man. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, ECU also tier two. Uh, Patrick, just, just fucking take the banner on this one. What are they going to do this season? Yeah, so – I think ECU is actually pretty interesting this year. They were really good down the stretch last year, won four of their last five. Um, they started off the season pretty slow. They had that App State loss, very, very nearly beat South Carolina. wonder what the conversation about South Carolina would be like if they had closed that game. Um, very nearly beat UCF, took Houston to overtime. This was uh, really close to being a good team last year, a really good team. Instead, they went 7-5. and five. Um I think that they're going to get better again this year. They have seven starters back on offense and seven back on defense. It was not a great defense or offense, really, for that matter, last year. Um, but they have more players coming back. They have the skill core offensively. It's just about intact. Holt Naylor's is somehow back. I I really don't know how he's done this, but he has returned. Keaton Mitchell is back, as is uh, Rajai Harris at running back. I like both of them. Rushing attack could have been better last year. I think it will continue to improve this year. Um, but it was improved from 2020 and 2021. And so I think that it's on the good path. I think that these two are both really good. Uh, CJ Johnson's back at wide receiver as well. He needs some help. Somebody else needs to be good at wide receiver here at some point. Cause he has been the only one for a couple years now. Um, but I have optimism for this offense. I think that the passing attack probably is going to continue to, to take steps forward. Ehlers is good. Um, and I think the running game is only really headed up. These guys, both of these running backs are sophomores. Somehow they have three starters back on the offensive line. Uh, might be some growing pains with a new left tackle, but I think the offense is going to be good. It was good last year. I think it's going to get better. Um, defense, we we will see. We, we will see. They have both of their tackles are back, which is encouraging. They're both sophomores. They have two freshman starters last year. Uh, in Emmanuel Hickman and Elijah Morris. I like both of them. I think that they could be good. Um, most of their linebacking core is back. Jeremy Lewis, Xavier Smith, and Miles Berry. I think all three of them are good. 
And then two guys in the secondary who I like in uh, Jairi Wilson at safety and Malik Fleming at cornerback. There's space in the other cornerback and safety spots, and then they need to find two new defensive ends. But other than that, this team is largely intact and is pretty good last year. So I, 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 I'm pretty excited about these guys. I think that they are certainly a rung below the top of the league just because we haven't seen them do that yet. But I think they should be pretty good. I, it's not the easiest schedule in the world, but I'm pretty excited to see them play. I think Ehlers is, a, is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Rushing attack should keep getting better. Like I said, I, I'm I'm count me as optimistic and curious about what ECU is doing. They needed a step forward last year and they got it. Fair enough. Um, any other thoughts on that before you move on to tier two? Yeah. So I, I want to look at the schedule a little bit here. So they start the season with NC state at home, which is hmm. strange. That's, that's a straight, I'm guessing that was a two for one. I don't think they're going to win that game. It sure would be funny. Um, but then they get old dominion at home, Campbell at home, Navy at home. So they're still going to start three and one. And then at USF, four and one. At Tulane, five and one. Going into Memphis at home on October fifteenth, um, we could be. I think very well we could be talking about a six and one ECU team going into the UCF game the next week, which is also at home. Um, I think they could win. Tw- I think they could win both of those games, and we could be talking about seven and one. Granted, they finish the season at BYU, at Cincinnati, and then Houston at home, and then they finish at Temple. So they're going to finish eight and four if they start seven and one, but. That would be good. I think that that would be fun to have a, uh, you know, going into that BYU game, a 7-1 and one maybe ranked ECU team. I think that would be really cool. I, I don't think they're going to win any of those those three tough games to end the year, but the schedule has set up well for ECU to get some points, to get some hype off of a, a pretty easy start, and I think that that is beneficial right now. I think that, that that's that's what the program continues to uh, to need to do. Yeah, uh, I think you're probably a little. I think you're probably talking yourself into a seven and one start more than you're expecting a seven and one start. But uh... yes, but I don't really know. I mean, of those teams that I listed, Memphis and UCF, I think are the only ones who I could really see beating them. I guess Old Dominion could give them a game, and then NC State's obviously going to beat them. But Campbell, Navy, USF, Tulane. I don't think there's any life there, and I don't <laughs> think it's it's unrealistic to think that they could beat Memphis and UCF at home. I think they're better than those teams are. Uh, it's, it's, it's possible. I don't know. It's possible. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, uh, in tier two, we got UCF. Um, oh, boy. So we hate this program. I can't stand these guys. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. Of all the teams we bitched about, we hate UCF more than all of them combined. Oh my god, I can't stand these fucking guys. Uh, I just extremely odious football program. We've talked about it before, but oh my god, drives me crazy what they are what they are trying to do here. Just do not be allowed to exist. Just a shame, real shame, what they have <laughs> what they have done. I want to read to you a section real quick from the Athlon preview of UCF, just because I, I think it's a funny reflection of where they are. Um, while Mikey Keene, who is the incumbent starter at quarterback, has the edge to retain the starting role, he will be pushed by John Reese Plumley, an Ole Miss transfer who is more of a running threat. Mm. If you are playing John Reese Plumley at quarterback in 2022, you are an unserious football coach. You should go to jail. That is ridiculous. John Reese fucking Plumley, Really? 
You and you're like you're supposed to be the school that gets all of the quarterbacks or all the transfers, right? You're the transfer school, and like in the market oh of God. all these quarterbacks, the best guy you could get was John Reese Plumley. Gary Bohannon went to your fucking rival. What are you doing, John Reese Plumley? <laughs> he was playing receiver the last three years. I hate to say this, he's going to get his leg broken by like week four of the season. I don't think he's even going to start. He sucks. He's not good. <laughs> He's not. He's not a good football player. Like my question is, is, like, how long do they let Gus Malzahn run this stupid fucking clown show? If they just admit that he was cooked. I don't know. I don't know, man. When they go two and ten in the Big Twelve next year, I guess. I to bring Scott Frost back. <laughs> it would work. That's the level of of football that Scott Frost should be coaching at. Um, yeah, I, I I can't imagine it's going to be forever because they're going to be in a position where. You know, you can't be as patient in the Big 12 as you can in the AAC, and I, I don't think that this is a program that really wants to be patient to begin with. Um, boy, what a uh, what a crippling loss that uh, that that departure of um, what's his name, Danny uh, Danny White, the athletic director. What a crippling uh-huh. loss that proved to be. Because Jesus Christ, this program has. Went to high school with a guy named Danny Whitekin. Mm. Good guy. I wonder if they're related. Um, <laughs> But this is just. Hope he's doing well. Hope he's doing well. Yeah, this is just a. Uh, it's it is a program that has completely forgotten its identity, um, and uh, for good reason because Gus Malzahn is the just he's a black hole of identity in football. It, there's nothing to the man. He doesn't believe in fucking anything. It, it it's for years he styled himself as this this coach who had this unique offense. Um, that he drop that he 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 switched at the drop of a hat as soon as it became inconvenient for him. Immediately, just oh well, we're actually a pocket passing team now because I have a quarterback who's a pocket passer. Um, and how did I get this guy? It's impossible to say. I just did. And, and no way to know. Just like carried for years and years by dominant defenses that he had fucking nothing to do with. This guy's a loser. He's a complete loser, and what he, has done, what he has done to this program already, it's been one goddamn year, and he has an entire team full of guys who couldn't, couldn't crack the lineup at P5 schools and who fucking hate each other. This sucks. Why did you do this? <laughs> just, it doesn't make any sense. God. It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, my God. I think he's actually recruiting decent this year too, which will be funny because those guys will of course transfer in one year. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's it's usually the way to nurture good recruiting classes, especially at the G five level, is to push those guys immediately down the depth chart for John Reese Plumley. That's a good way to build your culture is to go get John Reese Plumley when you have a freshman, an, an incumbent starting freshman quarterback who was pushed into the role because the starter got hurt last year. It's time to go get the guy who got moved to to wide receiver for the sake of Matt Corral. That's what you need to do. You need to go well, get Matt the Corral's fuck- good. Hang on. Don't say Matt Corral's name like that. He was good. Matt Corral is not good, but you need to go get John Reese fucking plum. This guy's a wide receiver. You you've just you've just signed Chaz Surratt to play quarterback for you. What are you doing? They just got 2014 or yeah, 2014 Braxton Miller like yeah. with the shoulder surgery. Yeah, on yeah, you got the guy who they they wouldn't let throw the ball because if he threw it, his arm would fall off. Like that's just, <laughs> why. <laughs> they just got Josh Cribs, but worse to play oh quarterback. My God. <laughs> what a pull! <laughs> oh man, yeah, I. I All right, well. <laughs> 
they suck. Yeah, they suck. This team sucks. Yeah, they suck. The offense is going to be bad because they have a whole bunch of guys who don't fit together. Um, Let's do the schedule. I, I want to fucking hate on these freaks. I, I do want to mention real quick Travis Williams, the defensive coordinator. Coordinator. He's good. He's going to get a better job somewhere where he doesn't have to work for this fucking loser. Um, defense was kind of the saving grace at times last season. There is talent on the defense. Defense, I think, is as weird as it is, a lot easier to transfer portal your way to success. I don't know why that is. You'd think that defense would need to be more cohesive, but um, maybe it's because talent can be more valuable on that side of the ball than it is on offense. It's a lot easier to uh, to build a defense around talented players than it is a, an offense, um, if that makes sense. But I think the defense is going to be pretty good, and Travis Williams is going to be deserving of a better job. I like Kobe Perry, the uh, new safety, a lot. I think that there's... A lot to to like about this defense is just that Gus Malzahn's running the offense, and that's uh, that's always going to be a problem. <laughs> if you're if that's going to be like team. the main problem. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be like your main problem is that Gus Malzahn's your head coach, and you shouldn't have done that. Really, anybody all else right. at all would have been better. Let's run this. Uh, let's run this goddamn uh, schedule. Yep. Home against South Carolina State for a W. Home against Louisville for an L. Yep. At Florida Atlantic, that's a win, right? Florida Atlantic yeah. sucks worse. Yeah, Florida Atlantic is just doing this, but like a worse version of it. That's right. It's cool. Versus that, Georgia uh, Tech, could they win this game? Really, really quick. It's very cool that like every team in the state of Florida is doing the exact same stupid fucking thing right now. Why are they all doing this? <laughs> yeah. They all got the memo at the same time. Yeah, you need to bring in 35 transfers every class and see what happens. Why? You're in Florida. Why are you doing this? Should we talk about, like, oh there's something God. to the fact that, like, Florida and Texas are both football-crazed states with a million teams that are all trying to prove they're richer than each other and can buy more players than each other? <laughs> like, it's almost a dick-measuring contest where there's any good football sense, right? Yeah. The teams that are smart enough to continue to recruit in the state of Florida and Texas are really going to benefit in the next couple of years. So, like... Watch out for fucking Oklahoma State or whatever. The teams that aren't so stupid that they get completely blinded by the transfer portal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There, yeah, there's a there's a space. If you're in the state of Florida or Texas or you're nearby or even if you're just competent as a football staff to bring in some really good players because everybody has apparently lost their fucking minds in these states and just completely forgotten where they are. Uh, I tend to agree with you. Yeah. All right. Anyways, Georgia Tech. Keep going. I think they win that game, right? So that means they're three and one. I guess. Uh, yeah. They'll they'll lose to SMU three and two. Beat Temple four and two. They'll lose at ECU big time. Yep. Four and three. They'll lose Cincinnati. It's four and four. They'll lose at Memphis. I think. Yeah. Uh, four and five. They'll get a win at Tulane. Uh, five and six. They'll beat Navy probably. Six and six. They'll beat USF. It'd be, or, it'd be seven and five. I think I missed a game. Seven and five. Yeah, yeah whatever. Seven and five. It's again. They're doing the same thing that they did last year. They just back into a bowl game despite the fact that they are dog shit because they don't play any good teams. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's about the, all there is to say about UCF. I'm, I'm really curious about what this roster would look like if it had competent coaching, but we won't get to see that um, for another couple years until they realize that this is a waste of time, uh, which really shouldn't have taken that long anyway. It's pretty obvious, even from the jump, that this was a waste of time, that this guy is a run-through loser who can't do anything and couldn't do anything even when he wasn't that, when he was the head coach at Auburn. Still really shitty at his job and, and not worth keeping around. Don't know why. Lifelong loser. Do not like him. Yeah, get him out of here. All right. Uh, SMU. Yep. Uh, we do hate... Uh, oh, what's his dick for leaving? Sonny Dykes. Uh Sonny Dykes, yeah, I forgot his name. I don't respect him anymore. 
he did cut bait and leave. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's whatever. This program is whatever, right? Like they're going to be good enough. They're clearly, I think they're clearly worse than Cincinnati and Houston, but they're clearly more organized than UCF. So yeah. the same season as last year. Yeah. I, I think that that's about right. They, they have five starters back on offense. There's going to be some players to replace in the skill core um, with Ulysses Bentley gone to the portal. Uh, Reggie Roberson and Danny Gray off to the NFL. Really a bummer that Ulysses Bentley is gone. That's uh, I was I was excited to see him play. Um, but they have Tanner Mordecai and Preston Stone back. Kind of curious to see who wins that job because Preston Stone is better. He's a better quarterback, but Tanner Mordecai is older uh, and was the starter last year. Trey Siggers is back at running back. He's pretty good. Rasheed Rice is the, the returner at wide receiver. Um, Bo Corrales is here. I, I believe he's a former transfer. Yeah, he's a transfer from North Carolina. I think he's going to be pretty good. Joshua Moore from Texas, I think, could be pretty good as well. He he did his share of actually playing at Texas, if memory serves. Um, and then the offensive line has some new faces as well. So it's it's a bit of a year of transition. Defense has more returning production and also added, I want to say, Jim Levitt, um, who is – no, not Jim Levitt. It's Scott Simon. Jim Levitt – uh, what? Never mind. Never I want to know where Jim Levitt is actually is now. Um, let me see. He is. He he's listed as the interim head coach at SMU. That's that's probably yeah. That's right. not right. Um, probably unemployed, if I had to guess. What the fuck? So yeah, he is the defensive coordinator. What are they talking about? Um, that's that's annoying. This his Twitter has no bio listed. And no SMU in his... Uh... Troubling. Um, well, I thought that Jim Levitt was the defensive coordinator. It might be this guy, Scott it Simons. It seems he's retired and living in Tampa. Okay. Well, it's Scott Simons, then, who is at Liberty. Um, he's not as good as Jim Levitt. Jim Levitt is a very annoying, crazy person, from what I've gathered. But he What is if a... it was Jim Levitt Town, and okay. he did uh, redlining? That'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> that might be what he's doing now. We have no way to prove that that's not what he's he, doing he... right now. Yeah, actually, not, not that surprising. A former football coach from Texas moves to Florida... And it begins redlining suburbs. That would actually track a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Anyways, okay. So it's Scott Simons who was formerly of Liberty. I want to say I have no fucking thoughts on Liberty's defense. I, I, not a thing. Uh, defense should be in for improvement because of how many guys are coming back. They have a whole bunch of seniors. Um, especially in the front seven. Cornerbacks can use some help. Jahari Rogers and Bryce McMorris are both returning starters, but they're also both sophomores, and they weren't very good last year. Um, so there's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they improve. I think in general, it's all going to come out in the wash and they will do about what they did last year in terms of final record, you know, eight and four, nine and three range. Curious to see who the quarterback is, who steps up at wide receiver. But I think in the end, it's going to be about the same result. I'm the, the thing that I think is going to be interesting is if they do it all at once, like they did every time under Sunday Dykes, where they start the season like 8-0, lose one big game, like maybe Cincinnati on October 22nd, or Houston on November 5th, and then just completely collapse. Um, it would be harder to do this year, because they end the season at USF, at Tulane, and then Memphis at home, but it's that's been the problem for SMU in the past, and so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how they get to 8-4 or 9-3. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be a fun adventure to get there. Do you want to review their schedule? Yeah, at North Texas, Lamar at home, at Maryland, TCU at home to start the season. 
probably two That's wins. Two and two. Yeah, probably two wins there. I, I think the Maryland. They could, they could actually. I think I, I might pick them to beat TCU. I think that they're going to make both of those P five games competitive. I don't know that I'd pick them to win either game, but I think that they will be in both games. Their their offensive talent is such that it's going to be hard for those defenses to handle them. Maryland's defense, especially. Damn. But, tickets. Uh, tickets currently six bucks for uh, SMU ooh. at Maryland. That's a. It's a it's pretty a, good game, actually, yeah, it's for a, fun, a $6 it's a, ticket. That's a fun match. I mean, you're going to see like 80 combined points. That That's not that's not bad at all. Um, yeah. So Official uh, recommendation to all of our fans living on the East Coast, take a train. Go catch yeah. SMU Maryland on yeah. September 17th. Uh, so probably and, two and uh, two. don't do anything else on that train that we wouldn't want you to do. No, especially if yeah, if you're saying that flipping the field told you to do it, don't do that. You can do it on the train as long as you don't mention the podcast. I don't I don't care. Not my problem. Um, there are no coded messages in the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're heading out to Maryland, just go to the football game and don't do anything else in the area of Maryland. Do not like, like the uh, like the, the, the don't tr- look up any buildings that are just cross state lines <laughs> in Langley, Virginia. Uh, oh, have you ever don't... seen the uh, the the Trevor Moore bit about the things that you can't say on television? <laughs> Like you can't uh, probably. Uh, he's, yeah. like, he's like you can't, you can't say that legally. You can't say that you're going to shoot the president of the United States of America. <laughs> he's just like continuously escalate. It's a really good bit. That's what we're that's what we're going to tell you guys to do. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's a fun game. I think they probably start two and two. But I could see them taking one of those P five games. Um, then at, I'll be bold. I'll say I'll say three and one. Okay. At UCF, Navy at home, Cincinnati at home, at Tulsa, three wins there. I think. Yeah, six um, and two. Houston at home at USF at Tulane Memphis at home to end of the season. So yeah, nine and three. I think they lose to Houston yeah. and then win those last three. So probably not a collapse in the traditional sense, but still nine and three. That's that's just, a good just year. a nice lazy roller coaster. That's that's a good first year if you're Rhett Lashley. I think you're pretty happy with that. You've got your your quarterback of the future coming back in Preston Stone. You've got some young receivers who are really interesting, like uh, Dylan Goffney, like Jordan Curley, who I think is going to be back. Roderick Daniels. Um, Kamar Wheaton is here at running back, which I'm really oh. excited about. Uh, he's he's the backup this year, but he's super super talented. Didn't really get to see him play a whole lot at Alabama, but he's a really good football player, and so I'm I'm very interested in him as well. Yeah, uh, that's a great season for them. Honestly, P5 win and, and third place in your conference is pretty yep. solid, especially knowing you're a, a year away from getting to be the top dog at the conference. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're pretty happy with that if you're SMU. I, I think that's a that's a good season in general. Cool. All right. Uh, tier one, yep. Cincinnati. Yep. Um, Big dogs. Obviously, the best season or second best season in G5 history last year. Uh, What's the best? Tremendous. Uh, one of the Boise State teams that went 12-1 and won a uh, – uh, uh, Probably, that Boise... yeah, like the Fiesta Bowl team. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also, I guess I probably should have included the BYU national title team. Yeah, BYU national title team, Tulane, 1998. There's a there's a good selection of teams. UCF in 2017, I think it was. Um, but yeah, this team's certainly up there, right? This team, yes. up there yeah. Level. I mean, they went to the playoff. It's it's this is the first G5 team, like true G5 team, not BYU, not independent, that has whatever been able to compete for a national championship in this sport i think literally yeah. they are the first ones who ever did it was a damn good season it was very very impressive that they managed to do that like you know it's it's now we have the the a little bit of distance to actually look at it fucking crazy that they managed to do that i cannot believe they pulled it off it's nuts it's so sick 
We love it. Yeah. And unlike one other team in the playoff, they've actually got a recruiting bump from it. It's actually benefiting their recruiting and not turning them hurtling downwards the program <laughs> immediately after their, their biggest success in uh, oh decades. Oh my God. Yeah. As soon as they break through and, and finally prove themselves as viable as a, as a national contender, immediately falling off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Shitting their pants in public. Insane. Yeah. Insane. Cincinnati's not doing that. They're the yeah. one, they're the one team from the Midwest to be the playoff that is not doing that. <laughs> Oh my god! I can't believe that they're like. I know that this is not the recruiting episode. What is going on out there? <laughs> yeah, it's great stuff, man. Uh, here's the question. Here's the question for me. The dividing question of the season. Mm. There's other. There's other holes too. But can Ben Bryant, or theoretically, if uh, what's his name behind him, the six foot five kid, Evan Prater, yeah, uh, can either one of those guys be good enough that you don't desperately miss Desert Ritter? Uh, I think Ben Bryant can be. I think Evan Prater probably uh, has been told that he is the starter next year, but that Ben Bryant is a one-year rental so that he can continue to learn the uh, offense. I, I, here's the problem with Bryant, though. He's not going to lose you any games, mm-hmm. right? Probably not. With Sadie's defense, that's probably okay, but if he does start throwing some interceptions, that promise that what you got from him, you should not be playing if yeah. he is like not being very accurate with very few turnovers, he should not be starting. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that totally. If he's if he is not like the the steady game manager who is keeping everything on track like he was at Eastern Michigan, um, then you should go to go to Prater because Prater is more basically. Talented he, and, and... Yeah, he should be pre ascension Kenny Pickett is what you want out of him. Yeah, yeah, and if he is if he is not able to do that, then absolutely there's no reason not to turn it over to Prater and, and set yourself up for a really good season next year, right? I, I right. think that that's. I think that that's totally fair. I would guess that Bryant is the starter to to open the season, and I think that he can do that. I I believe in his ability to do that. I think that he is he is skilled enough to handle that, and probably is better than what he was able to show at Eastern Michigan. Now that he will have better wide receivers, um, Prater yeah. Prater is is going to be good. I think, but I, I I getting another year of growth for him is probably beneficial if you can swing it. Um, and so I, I would I would expect that that is going to be the case. Uh, yeah, and, and... I, I'm I am certainly very curious to watch this quarterback uh, situation play out. I, I feel very confident in Corey Kiner in this backfield. He's a great high school running back, and a lot of teams want it. I think yeah. he's going to be very solid. He's awesome. Yeah, uh, for Cincinnati, I think they have some other good guys in this backfield. Like they're going to they're going to have some players with the ball in their hands who can play. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. Their O line is going to be fantastic. I think. Yeah. Entire offensive line is back, which is nuts. They, they, like, it's it's all five starters are back, and that's going to set them up long term, too. Like, that's, that's great news for, for next season as well, that you can have an entire second unit of offensive linemen just working behind these guys this year. I think, I think the biggest question to me is like, not even biggest question necessarily. I think the biggest point to me is that is they're going to have time to figure it out, right? They're going to be able to buy time with the schedule, the way they're playing. Yeah. That they don't have to have all the answers in week one, right? Like this is a program that has room to breathe based on its own line, based on something. I mean, I guess they are going to literally lose the football game week one Mm. uh, Mm. when they uh, they play Arkansas. We'll see. But come on, they're playing Arkansas on the road Mm -hmm. with a brand new quarterback. I think they're probably going to lose week one. Mm -hmm. Who's uh, just remind me, who is Arkansas's offensive coordinator? Is it Kendall Bryles? Yeah. And who is Cincinnati's head football coach? It's Luke Fickle. Well, that's an issue. That's going to be an issue for Arkansas, I think, because Kendall Bryles is um, inbred and Luke Fickle is a good football coach. And so I think that that might cause them some problems. Uh, I do think Luke Fickle is a very good football coach, of course. Uh, however, he also 
lost his two best defensive assistants. Yeah. Uh, and his the two best defensive players in the history of the school mm-hmm. and maybe in the history of G5 football. That's yeah. that's an exaggeration. That one I was exaggerating on. Uh, the best defensive back pair in the history of G5 football is gone. Yeah. Uh, so now what? Like, I, I like obviously they have some recruits they've been building up with this team, you know, expects to kind of reload. I think they've been program building at an unbelievable level. Yeah. But now you have to actually prove it and you have to prove it week one against one of the best quarterbacks in college football, Katie Jefferson. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would certainly not go into that game feeling like super confident that Cincinnati's going to win, but I also absolutely would what is not the, what is the betting line i would not count out cincinnati even a little bit because it's it's really interesting you talked about the the program building this has been i mean i know that we really we have you know talked at length about how much we love luke fickle but looking at the depth chart on the defense this is a master class it is ridiculous that he has pulled this off do you know how many seniors they have starting on this defense <laughs> how many there are like eight seniors on this defense it's ridiculous where did he get these guys Man. the entire back seven is seniors like it's it's just you know javon hicks senior jacob dingle senior arquan bush senior justin harris senior taj ward senior wilson huber senior malik van up front senior jabari taylor senior where did you get these fucking guys where have you been hiding these guys it's, it's wild. Yeah, like there's there's seniors in the second in the second you know second unit too. Like Ivan Pace is a he was an all Mac linebacker at Miami. He's a senior. He's coming in. Deshaun Pace, his brother, is here as well. Ty Van Fossen is back. That's another senior. Like there's a there's a a lineup that they could make realistically with this defense that would have ten seniors and then Jawan Briggs, who's a former four star. That's ridiculous. That that they lost seven starters from last year's defense, and they could still throw out a ten senior unit on defense. How did they do that? It's ridiculous, man. <laughs> um, oh my god, this is like how Mark D'Antonio used to do things. It's it's so obvious the Jim Trestle and Mark D'Antonio influence because this is what made those teams so good is that they could lose twenty guys every year, and then they just had another twenty seniors step right into their starting spots. It's like how a high school operates. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's very impressive what he's done, of course. I, I just think that, like, even if your replacement level is 90% of what you were last year, yeah, it's a much harder challenge this year without, sure. like, that experience of those veterans that he hit. Like, like, there's just still a lot of moving parts, yeah? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I don't expect that Taj Ward and Justin Harris are going to be – you know, uh, the, the, you know, first round pick or, 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 you know, award Thorpe award winners or anything like that. That's a lot to ask or, or that Jacob Dingle is going to be Brian cook or, or any number of these things. But, you know, there's certainly, I mean, I was just, just looking at some of the names on this list. There were some really good players here, you know, like Javon Hicks, I think is going to be really good. Arquan Bush, I think is already really good. Uh, Jaheim Thomas, who's a former four star, who's, projected as the starter middle linebacker uh Deshaun Pace and Ivan Pace Ty Van Fossen Malik Van who is awesome really really good player he you know he might not be you know he he might not be that top tier edge rusher but I I think that I think he's a really good player I think Jawan Briggs is a really good player Jabari Taylor it's just there's the the depth that they have pulled here with a with a G5 recruiting budget with with G5 background is it's basically unheard of that was that's always the thing that causes the downfall of these of these tenures and and 
you know, you see coaches leave and then their their replacements, it's diminishing returns, like we talked about with Memphis or any number of these programs. And I just, this is, it's set up in such a unique way relative to all of its counterparts in the AAC that, like, they might lose that Arkansas game, but I have to think that by the end of the season, they're still going to be dominant because they have so much depth here relative to everybody else that they're playing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their worst case scenario, look at the schedule, is like a 10 and 2 season. Yeah. Like, that's their worst case scenario, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and a game against Houston in the, in the uh, AAC championship because they refuse to ever let Houston Cincinnati play in the regular season. They just will not do it. <laughs> yeah. This team has not played. I, I feel, have you seen me? Am I crazy? I feel like they haven't played Houston in the regular season in like 10 years. It feels like it's been a while. They, I'm sure that they played in like 2021 and I've just forgotten about it. But it's, uh, yeah, they no, don't. No, not last year. Let's see. They played in 2020. They had to have played in 2020, right? No you would, shot. They, you would hope. <laughs> Okay, they did play. They did play in 2020 because it was an all you know it's an all conference schedule besides yeah. one non con game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Whatever. They played in 2019 too. It's just been two years in a row they missed. Okay. Them. But uh, yeah, they they don't play Houston this year. They start the season at Arkansas, as we said. Uh, Kennesaw State at home. Miami at home. Indiana at home. At Tulsa. USF at home to open the season. At absolute worst, five and one, and I think that there is a very, very real chance that they could beat Arkansas. I, I really do. Um, the the physicality of this team last season, I was always so impressed with. I think that they, despite the loss, absolutely held their own against Alabama and and looked like they belonged to be there. And I think they will do the same against Arkansas. And there's, I'm not I'm not going to count this team out uh, for for really any circumstances. Um, so I. I I will say five and one. I think it could absolutely be six and zero going into bye week, and then at SMU, at UCF, which is a, a tough back to back. Navy at home, ECU at home, at Temple, Tulane at home. Uh, they're going to go eleven and one or or twelve and zero. I don't think that they're going to lose either of those two road AAC games. I just don't see SMU or, or UCF having the the depth of talent to keep up with these guys for four quarters. I think they're going to be really good again. Yeah, yeah. Um... So yeah, I mean, I have them like I said, eleven and one playing Houston. Mm-hmm. That's it. By the way, also this the spread for the uh, Cincinnati uh, Razor Arkansas game. Uh, Cincinnati is seven point dog. Mm. Uh, mm. Kind of interesting. Over under is at fifty four. Something to think about. Hmm. We're gonna be people have been. Uh, I'll mention real quick just to speak of gambling briefly. Uh, people have been asking about our we our yearly. Uh, over unders show that is coming soon. As are some more things. I will say that is all. I'm as are some more things. There are a lot of things coming soon. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason we are recording this at 11 p.m. on a Tuesday night because your boy has been a busy fucking beaver the last few weeks. Yes, yeah. So uh, that is, uh, if you are interested in making some some supplemental income, that is on its way. I promise. As are a lot of other things that I think are going to be really cool. Um, all right, you want to talk Houston? Finish this out. Um. Yeah, might as well. I guess. Yeah. Uh, sure. Clayton Tune. Huh? Yeah. Top top five quarterback in America. I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clayton Tune. Clayton Tune. Clayton Tune. I mean, he's fine. He's 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 fine. He's okay. He uh, for a Dana Holgerson quarterback, he gets the job done. He took pretty big steps last season. Still needs to keep cutting down on the interceptions, but was definitely better and and more confident in his in his throwing. Was more willing to go down the field. It helps that yeah. he has a really good set of receivers with with Nathaniel Dell and Keyshawn Carter. Um, Matthew Golden has arrived into the starting lineup as well, and I think will be pretty good. Um, 
young core behind those guys, but Dell and Carter are really good. Um, Tazan Henry at running back is also really good, I think. And so he, he sort of, he made that step that we wanted to see him make last year. And that's great. I think that he's, he's certainly an upper echelon of the AAC quarterback now, but I don't know how much farther he's going to be. I don't know that he's actually all that talented, if that makes sense. Like, I think he's fine. I just, I don't really see him as a guy who's going to be like hugely better at any point. I think that we've probably seen about what he's, what he's going to be. Can I just say really quick, uh, I probably own apology to Dana Holgerson. I was wrong. I I mocked him a good bit when he left West Virginia to come to Houston and thought it was a pretty desperate move. And uh, he was right. He was, he was right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, West Virginia fucking sucks as a program. Yeah. I was, I was, I was wrong about him leaving for this job and I was wrong about the way that he was uh, building the program. I thought that the red shirting everybody thing was stupid. It, it was, to be fair, um, but he yeah, that has, was very fucking he dumb. Has, and that was he, just a big PR hit. Yeah, he has turned it around and, and and has done a really impressive job recruiting here, a really impressive job program building. I didn't think he had it in him. I, I really didn't. And he has uh, what he has built here. Is, and more than that, his staff hires him a goddamn good too. Yeah, yeah. Shannon Dawson and Brandon Jones on offense are are awesome, and then Doug Bell is the superstar. <laughs> Doug Bell is defense. one of the best young DCs. I can't. In the country. I can't believe he's still here. I mean, that's that's one hell of a coup that he's sticking around. I don't know how they managed that, um, but he's awesome. He, he's a very, very good coordinator. That defense last year was just fantastic, and they have six starters coming back, um, including both safeties, uh, two pretty good defensive linemen in Derek Parrish and Shadozi Nwankwo, uh, Nwankwo. Uh, Donovan, or Yeah, Donovan Mooton is back at middle linebacker, and then Jace Rogers, uh, Hassan Hippolyte, and Javarius Owens back in the safety spots. They've added a couple transfers who I think are going to be interesting on defense. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm impressed. I'm impressed with what they have been able to uh, to do here. I didn't think that they were going to pull it off, and they they absolutely have jumped up to the very very upper echelon of this league under uh, under Holgerson's guidance. I think he is deserving of kudos. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just been a tremendous kind of a building job by him overall. I actually really like some of his uh, uh, personnel hires too. I know a few of these guys, including Ryan Dorchester, who I'm pretty a pretty big fan of. His, uh, I think he has like a GM title. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's basically the Mark Pantone of uh, of Houston, as far as I can tell. He's this guy from WU. I thought he did a pretty good job. A lot of recruits liked him. Pretty impressed by him. I don't know if about his straight staff that's going to be on my to do list, but. Seems like it's been going well. Yeah. Um, oh man, I'm looking at the size of this guy's neck. I'm, I like him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a respectable neck right there. Yeah, and I, that's I, a good neck. Yeah, I, you can tell like when the neck starts flaring out wider than like the base of your skull. Yeah, that's when it's like. I mean, you can see mine. I'm I'm not quite there yet, but it's getting some progress toward yeah. the neck game. Yeah, yeah. I've also it, got a pretty big head, which makes it tough. Yeah, when it becomes uh, impossible to distinguish between the end of your skull and the beginning of like your traps, it's it's that's a good sign. That's that's what you want to see is the traps growing into the back of the skull. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Houston's cool. I I still think Clinton Tune is massively overrated. Uh, maybe one of the most overrated players of all time. Yeah. Uh, by that one guy who was rating him that highly. Yeah. Uh, but, but I do generally like this Houston roster. Uh, I don't know, Patrick. Tell me your perception of them. What do you think you should expect from this? Uh, this team. And I think they're going to be really good. I, I, I 
just you know replacing Logan Hall and and Marcus Jones and Demarion Williams is not going to be easy on defense. But I like a lot of the guys who they have coming back. Uh, I think Nelson Caesar is going to be really really good at defensive end. I think that Derek Parrish is a great pairing for him. Um, they generated so many sacks last season. It's just it's hard for me to be worried about the uh, the the. the Doug know. Belk, dude. What's Doug. That? Belk. Yeah, Doug Belk. He's 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 ridiculous. Um, but he it, just like that defense just generates pressure. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. the tree he comes out of, uh, that's just what he does. Yeah, yeah. They have a great feel for it. It's like the uh, same as the Diaz tree. It's it's the same sort of idea, um, and they're just really good at it. It's it's consistently something that they are able to do with sacks, with tackles for loss. It's uh, it's a good approach. <laughs> I think it's a really good approach, and I think this defensive line is still going to be excellent. Um, Newton, like I said, is, is I think really good at, at linebacker. I'm curious to see who steps up at cornerback. Moses Alexander is here was a former uh, JUCO All-American, I want to say, and so I'm interested to see what he can do. Alex Hogan and Art Green seem to be the projected starters. They played yeah. last year, but not a ton. Um, I remember that the Belk is a former corners coach, by the way, and a former corners GA underneath Nick Saban, which you have to like. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I have no reason to think that the defense won't continue to be excellent top 20, top 15 range, and the offense brings back plenty and, and should be continuing, you know, continuously on the rise like it was last year too. I think they're just going to be a better version of what they were last season. I don't think that they lose enough to, to push me off of that. I, I would expect that this is, you know, they went 12-2 and two last year. I think that this is a better version of that team. Uh, yeah, I do think they're better. I, I would be, yeah, I mean, I think they're gonna be a damn good team, right? I think, I think they're probably gonna win double digit game, but I guess I haven't looked that closely at their schedule yet, yeah, yeah which I probably should be doing right now. Yes, yeah, so I've, I've got um, it pulled up. They start the season really interesting start to the season. This, oh this man, is, this is, yeah, this is fucking three banger games. Start the yeah, year, they have, they have scheduled like a team that wants to compete for the playoff, um, at UTSA to open the season, then at Texas Tech, and then Kansas and Rice at home, and then Tulane at home as well. Um, the funniest scenario here is is losing to UTSA but beating the shit out of Texas Tech and Kansas. Yeah, I, I do think – let me real quick just because just I want to be sure that I'm right about this. Um, there is a, a chance that UTSA – yeah <laughs> – UTSA's schedule to open this season is hilarious. Uh, they get Houston at home, then go to Army in Texas. A 3-0 UTSA should be the number one team in the country. <laughs> that's. I mean, that... yeah, honestly, if they go 3-0, that's the best resume in the country at that point in time, right? That's... Yeah. Also, Texas starting 1-2 and two with losses to Alabama. They play Alabama, right? Yep. I'm pretty sure. And yeah. uh uh, and UTSA in the first two weeks. That'd be great for three weeks. That would that would kick ass. Yeah, top top tier stuff. But I I don't expect that'll be the case. I think Houston's going no. to beat UTS and what UTSA and what should be a, an awesome game. I think that's going to be a banger. That's that's the one that yeah. on September third. I mean, the were, the biggest thing going for UTSA is Frank Harris, and he's just going to be running for his fucking life the whole game. Yeah, this defensive line is a nightmare for a a a team that is going to be finding a new sort of guy to lean on at running back and some new pieces on the offensive line. Uh, UTSA passing attack should be good, but what a fucking disastrous first week matchup for for a team that's yeah. breaking in some new starters. I, I um, think they're gonna roll Texas Tech. Yeah, I am really. By the way, have you been following the hubris of the Icarus like Texas Tech fans? They yeah, have just fucking yeah, who have flamed up since they started talking shit to yeah, me. Yeah, who have just invested two hundred million dollars in nothing. <laughs> yeah, 
Wow, dude, that's an awesome wow. giant glass building in West Texas. That's wow, gonna cool. That's gonna change everything. Yeah. Did you, you did you happen to move the campus too? Because that would make things a lot better <laughs> if you weren't in the middle. Why of Why would you spend two hundred million dollars on facility instead of spending like a hundred million dollars on facilities and a hundred million dollars on players? Yeah. Or you know, two hundred. This is that's a real like my family is dying. Please help me budget like yeah. uh, situation. Yeah. <laughs> or or even yeah. I mean they're yeah they're spending like it's twenty twelve. You know it's like, oh we need to build a new fucking water fountain for the football players. No, what are you doing? I, I tweeted this, but they're trying to be they're trying to become like idiot Northwestern. Yeah, which is a funny brand of of football team to be. Um. Yeah, I think Houston is is going to have much more of a game with UTSA than it will with Texas Tech. I think it's going to bludgeon Texas Tech. I I have a. I have a sneaking suspicion, and I like Joey McGuire, but I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of teams, especially in the state of Texas, are well aware of what Texas Tech has been doing this offseason and are going to take a little bit of extra joy in beating the hell out of them this season. It, it feels like maybe yes. they have, they've gotten a little bit too big for their britches at times this season. Yeah, uh, oh, this yeah. These guys are convinced that like, they're the first guys to ever fucking, you know, talk to high school coaches really well or something like that. Yeah. Like, just... <laughs> They've gone from like being complimented for like, hey, you guys are recruiting pretty well to like, oh yeah, we actually reinvented the wheel and we are way better than all of you. Like A and M eats shit. And it's just come on, boys. Yeah, and so I, I think that Houston, you know, about to be heading into the the Big Twelve might have some um you know, uh, some scores to settle ahead of time there with Texas Tech thinking that it is going to be the big dog in the state of Texas <laughs> in the future. It's, mm, maybe not. Maybe not, my man. That, that is might... there a, I think there's a real scenario where it is still the worst program. In the state. I think it's likely, in fact. Yeah, I, I think it would be actually extremely surprising if that is not the case, right? Because it's, what, Baylor and TCU and Houston in the Big 12 and then Texas A&M yeah. and the SEC. I mean, and you start giving UTSA some AAC money? Yeah. Uh, like, I think that there's a very real chance that Texas Tech could continue to be the worst program that's not like you know Texas Rice or State North or, Texas, yeah, or Rice Texas State. Or, yeah, UTEP. Um, which yeah, good for yeah, you. UTEP. Yeah. <laughs> good, good for you guys. Really impressive stuff. Um, and then they're going to beat the hell out of Kansas and Rice, right? At least UTEP was a cool stadium. Can I think Kansas will play Houston closer than Texas Tech will. I think that Texas Tech is going to be that's really funny. I think Texas Tech players. is going to suck this year. Yeah, they're going to be bad. They don't have any good football players. That's like their main problem. Um. So four and zero to start, five and zero with the Tulane win at Memphis, at Navy, USF at home. All three are, are wins, I think. At SMU on November fifth is going to be a big one. Uh, Temple at home at ECU, and then Tulsa at home to end the season. I, I, I it, it feels like Houston's season just never really starts until they play SMU. Yeah, yeah. Like the the first two games are, are first three, I guess, are, are interesting, but I yeah. think they're going to win all three of them. Um, right. I like really, people besides you and me will not watch them for basically two months in between the Texas Tech game and the SMU game. Yeah, yeah. The SMU game, they're gonna I think they're gonna win that one, at which point they will become the thing that people talk about. Um I I mean honestly, I think we very well could be going into a an AAC title game and maybe this is wishful thinking, but for as bad as the bottom yeah. of this league is, I think we could be going into an AAC title game with two twelve and O teams that have multiple P five wins. Ah uh, man that that would require Cincinnati to really really pull one out against Arkansas. Yeah, but like other, th- I mean, one game. That's I don't know. It's not that hard to me. That's, yeah, that's not that yeah. hard. I mean, for you me know, I like to call it Indiana, but I would even call Indiana late up the season. So. Oh, I would. I absolutely would call them that. Walt Bell's the offensive. I, I think <laughs> I think it's probably likelier than not there is one twelve and zero team in this matchup, yeah. but two twelve and zero teams. And here's the thing. Even if there are two 12-0 teams with multiple P5 wins, 
I don't think this is a year where either one gets to the playoff. There's no buzz. Pre- you have to have preseason buzz, yeah. preseason hype around your schedule. Like, you can't just beat a Power 5 team. You have to beat, like, a ranked Power, like, multiple ranked Power 5 teams, basically. Yeah. Uh, I think if one of them would do it, it would be Cincinnati. Um, and I think, unfortunately, that's the less likely of the two to be able to do that. Um, I think Houston's better this year. But, but Arkansas needs to pull some shit out of their ass the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, in order for the AAC to have a chance to go to the playoff, right? Because, yeah. I mean, you know, Arkansas Arkansas does not have an easy schedule this year or any year because, you know, the yeah. Arkansas, they, like, out of conference, they play Cincinnati and BYU. Yeah. Boy, Jesus Christ. Why? Why are so many teams playing BYU? <laughs> and they, I mean, like, their other, like, uh, of course they have Missouri State, but they also play Liberty, which is they're going to win, but it's not not the easiest game in the world. Like you really are not making it easy on yourself here if yeah. you're Arkansas. Yeah, but I, I think that uh, I, I think it's absolutely a possibility. I don't know that it's a possibility for one of them to parlay that into a, a playoff run. There's probably too much going on even at the top of the sport for that to be realistic, right? Where you have potentially a, a, a BYU team that would have a P5 level resume if it was to go undefeated. Um, yeah. You have, we should have a, uh, we should have a variable size playoff where you and I just get to pick up like the field is each year, depending on how good the teams are. That does sound, yeah, that does sound good. Um, you have an Ohio state team that should be, you know, 12 and 0, right? <laughs> like obviously yeah. they should be 12 and 0 every year, but um, should be 12 and 0. Alabama should be, should be 12 yeah, and 0. Alabama, yeah. presumably. Um, Clemson, you seen Clemson's schedule? Like, if they beat <laughs> NC on. State, they. <laughs> Clemson, I, I, am, I am paying no mind to Clemson until further notice. I think yeah, that... no, of course. Neither am I, I, I don't believe Clemson is good, but just like uh, if they, like, their only challenging game, as far as I recall, is. I guess they get NC State and Wake back to back. I think that Wake this year is a pale imitation of Wake last year. Yeah. So like, you know. Yeah. I. I. Uh, but. But you have. I think just about guaranteed Ohio State and Alabama. Um, Big Twelve. Maybe Baylor. No, nothing. Maybe yeah, nothing Baylor comes out. You, Baylor's not going. Pack Twelve. I think Utah is the team to hope for. So I mean, I guess I'm trying to talk myself into it. You know, it's come on. Well, I, you You think you're gonna go from no G5 team has ever played for a, a, a national championship ever to back-to-back seasons with the same conference putting a G5 team. Uh, okay. So who's your, who are your, who are your next two that aren't Alabama? I'm taking State the then? field. I will take, if you give me G5 field versus P5 field to fill up the last two spots in the playoff, I will take the P5. Field. Sure. But, but walk me through that. Who are the, who are the other two P5 teams who, who jump into that for you? Who, who comes uh, 12 out? and one Clemson gets in 12 uh, and one, 12 and one Clemson. Yeah, you think Clemson's gonna lose? Like, yes. Here's their. <laughs> come on, yes. look. Here's their schedule: at Georgia Tech, home against Furman, home against La Tech, at mm-hmm. Wake Forest, home against NC State, at Boston College, at Florida State, home against Syracuse, by week at Notre Dame, home against Louisville, home against Miami, home against South Carolina. They're not losing two games that schedule. I think they're gonna be some close ones, but come on, no one on this like Notre Dame doesn't have a quarterback to save its fucking life. Man. Uh, Wake Forest doesn't have a defense to save its life. NC State is NC State, and we'll find a way to piss that flag. Uh, so what? Like Miami is a fucking. Ter- it's no Miami November. They are not going to be relevant anymore. Like one of these teams will figure out how to beat them, but it's not going to be like all of them. Man, or I, two of them. Man, I watched that team play last year, though. You can't like. It seems like they have been memory hold that Clemson was dog shit last year. They were really bad. They couldn't. Throw yeah, the but football. I mean, like even that really bad Clemson team that sucks still ended up within spitting distance of a playoff spot. 
I get. I don't think they did. I think they were they were what like nine and three. I don't think that that's spitting distance of a playoff spot. They ended up with three losses, but I don't know, man. Like, I guess that wasn't. I'm probably exaggerating. Maybe it's a playoff spot, but as I recall it, like they were. Sorry, spitting distance of an ACC championship, right? Like if, sure. if one game broke differently, I think if Pitt beat someone at the end of the season, they would have. Uh, Ended up playing for a championship and had a chance to be nine and three with like a top ten finish or, or ten and three with a top ten finish again. Yeah, uh, in a G, in a P five bowl like or NY six bowl whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, look, I don't think Clemson's good. I'm just saying that I think the rest of the conference is also pretty bad. Yeah, I think it might be written off exclusively then because it's that bad. I, I think that the the ACC might be done sending teams to the playoff for a little while. Yeah, that's a possibility. I don't know. I guess it's a. I guess it could happen, right? It could happen. I think it's just hard for me to see, like, even if these teams are as good as we think they are, it's just hard for me to imagine they both go, they totally. go collective four and zero against the P five, yeah, and run the gamut and their other difficult G five games to the point they meet each other undefeated. Totally, yeah. Uh, if it does happen, that'd be fucking sick. I'm rooting for that. I, I just don't think, find it realistic. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. I just, I think that it would be. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility at all, and that is super interesting. Um, that that this conference, which we spent you know, an hour and a half talking about how depressing it is that it still has two teams that can elicit this kind of excitement is, um, you know, a testament to these two teams, but also, boy, this conference is going to be in trouble next year because who these guys are leaving the two teams that we have any interest in are leaving. It's just, there's nothing. It's just, it's SMU and then a whole bunch of dog shit and UAB and UTSA brutal. Really, really brutal setup that they've got coming up here. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I, I just don't see any hope for them. I think they're bad at what they've done. I think they've had a terrible setup. I'm not impressed by their leadership, and, and yeah. uh, they deserve it. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, you can you can follow me on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Ryan is at B1G underscore Ryan. The, sh- or the show is at Field Flipping. Leave a five-star review. Tell a friend if you like the show. Um, or if you don't like the show, if you're a Texas Tech fan who's really mad about us, you should tell a friend and say you should go listen to these fucking assholes and, and you know get mad about what yeah. they like to do. We um, love hate mail. Listen. Send me a white powder in the mail. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't. I don't fucking. I, I'm not. Send it to Ryan. Probably not me. I'm not the one who likes to fight of the two of us. But uh, listen, we're not opposed to hate listens. It counts all the same. If you downloaded the podcast, do you think, it's do you think we problem. can ever pull off the first ever uh, podcast celebrity boxing match against one of our enemies? <laughs> I think that we are as close to it as any college football podcast is, right? I think that we, we. I mean, I would. I would celebrity uh, box Zach Smith. Um, yeah. That'd be fun. I can think of any number of people. It's it's in the probably the triple digits of people who we could get into celebrity boxing matches with. And when you say we, you mean you're my corner man, and I'm doing the boxing. I yeah, say. probably. I guess we could do like a WWE tag team style thing, but I. Oh, I that'd be know. cool. I don't know how much Zach Smith and be. the 18 year old uh, like little uh, fanboy who frees <laughs> <laughs> and briefs. Ooh, a couple of ways that that could have gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> oh boy, Zach Smith and the eighteen-year-old mm, something. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Zach Smith and the eighteen-year-old bottle of scotch he's gonna down before driving to his kids' <laughs> soccer practice. <laughs> oh man, he's a man of eighteen-year-olds. That much is for sure. He can't get enough of the stuff. 
<laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's a good way to end the podcast right there. I think that's that's a good point to leave it on. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter yeah. Yeah. at B1G underscore Ryan, Patrick underscore Mayhorn, at Field Flipping. Uh, leave a five-star review, send questions, harass your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, if you go on one date with a girl and she leaves her phone at the at the table where you guys are at dinner or something, uh, follow the podcast on her phone. Uh, yeah. Make it auto-download. Uh, we don't care if she'll do it. Just juice those numbers. We're trying to treat subscribers. Yeah, it's it's just, you know, it's just good business. It's a little financial right fraud. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's cool. Everybody be cool about it. Um, yeah, we will talk to you all next week with the, oh, God, is it the first P5 preview? Yeah, pre- preview season. I think oh man, we got we're going to be ripping a few previews in a row. We're a little behind schedule this summer. Yeah, uh, the boys got a little busy, so we're just uh, we're ripping some P five previews. Yeah, we we had we had a little bit too much fun with firing coaches and then sending uh, Stanford to the Big Ten. It's 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 understandable. We went on a little bit of a bender, but we're we're down now and we're ready to talk about <laughs> much like our predecessor Zach Smith. Yeah, yeah, our predecessor. You say in what in yeah. <laughs> Well, he raised us this podcast game. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the young thug to our little baby in Ghana. That's we, I've always I'm, said I'm, that. I'm always trying to do Zach Smith style podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, completely shit faced, unable to see. That's Zach Smith podcasting right there. <laughs> All right, we'll catch Go you guys. Back. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>